2: Time now for the character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tyre and Auto Centres on 101 ESPN.
3: Good morning everyone. Happy Thursday. Great to have you with us Carer and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It is 7:01. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Good morning, Michelle Smallman. How are you doing?
0: Good morning, Randy Carer. I'm doing great. The weather outside not so great. Grateful. It really is. I know we're bracing for uh, a continuation of some bad weather here, which is such a bummer because it was like 60 degrees yesterday. It was beautiful.
3: So we walked into our studio this morning and the floor is gone because our entire building is being renovated, which is a wonderful thing. Yes. But, and I didn't think of this until just now, we need to go to our general manager. And for the times when the weather is frightful, we need a fireplace.
0: That is a great idea. So that the
3: fire in here at 101 ESPN would be delightful. And since we have no place to go, let's know, let's know, let us let us know
0: uh, no, I don't want it to snow, snow, snow. I, I want yesterday. <laughs> yeah. I want 60 degrees. But that just makes me think of baseball, Randy. When the weather gets like it was mm-hmm. yesterday, I think, oh, it's time to talk baseball. But no.
3: Yeah, good luck with that.
0: Yeah, they're ruining it for us. They're ruining <laughs> our lives.
3: <laughs> we'll uh, have Blues hockey tonight here on 101 ESPN. And the pregame comes your way at 5, a shortened fast lane today. So the Blues can take on the worst team in the National Hockey League that happened to play last year, Michelle, in the Stanley Cup finals. The Montreal Canadiens are absolutely hideous in 20 2021 2022.
0: Can you imagine that your team's in the Stanley Cup final. You th- you think that it might be a run that your team goes on. Unfortunately, they don't win. I uh, remember seeing the scenes of of everyone in Montreal how excited they were and mm-hmm. then the next season your team is absolutely terrible. What a, what a high and a low. That's a peak and pit if I've ever heard one.
3: Well, and this is why we are so fortunate that the Blues won game 7 against the Bruins because when you look at teams that have lost the Stanley Cup, and the same thing happens by the way with Super Bowl losers, you need to take advantage of those opportunities that your franchise has. And thank goodness the Jordan Bennington came up huge in that first period in Game 7. When you look at recent Stanley Cups, Tampa Bay uh, winning the last two, but I'll tell you what, So last year it was Montreal. Mm -hmm. The year before that, it was Dallas. They aren't going anywhere fast. Uh, The year before that, it was Boston. They haven't been back. Vegas hasn't been back. Nashville has gone into a rebuild. These are all the recent Stanley Cup losers. San Jose is in a full rebuild. Uh, The Rangers disappeared after losing to the Kings in the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, Boston in 2013, the Devils went downhill, Vancouver went downhill, Philadelphia went downhill. You lose the Stanley Cup Finals, and there certainly are no guarantees that you're going to bounce back. The only recent team that has lost and been able to maintain and come back and win was Tampa Bay when they lost to Chicago in 2015. And then after a few years of knocking at the door, they won the last two.
0: And think about this. Had the Blues lost in 2019, Game 7 Stanley Cup Final, obviously we would have been crushed, completely devastated. But then that's followed up by a 2020 team that's primed to make another run and potentially yep. go back to the Stanley Cup Final only to be stopped in their tracks by a global pandemic and go to the bubble and then get bounced early. I mean, Blues fans were tormented before they won. Those two things back-to-back would have taken the torment level to unprecedented heights. Yeah,
3: to another level. Absolutely. And now the Blues appear to have Vladimir Tarasenko back. He's been great of late. Craig Berube, the head coach, joined the fast lane yesterday and was asked about Vladdy's recent play.
4: Well, not only driving the offense, but if you want, like, the reloads and, and the and the puck pressure he's putting on the other team when he doesn't have the puck is tremendous right now. And that's a real key, in my opinion, because when he's doing it, everybody follows suit, in my opinion. It's like Ryan O'Reilly doing it. And, you know, he's arguably our best offensive player right now. And uh, his play without the puck is tremendous. But, you know, he he's really hanging on the pucks and competing one on one in puck battles right now for me. Um, not only a shot, but uh, he's he's possessing the puck, and, and he's understanding the importance of possessing the puck and making good plays with it too. His passing is really good right now.
3: Michelle, there's nothing like. An exceptionally talented player giving all that they've got. Mm -hmm. This is why Michael Jordan is Michael Jordan, because Mm -hmm. he did it every night. It's why Tiger Woods was Tiger Woods when he was playing, because he gave everything he had and had the exceptional talents. Jerry Rice, there's a reason that he's the greatest player in the history of football, because he gave everything he had every single game and Vladimir Tarasenko, I think we can all agree, hasn't done that during the course of his career, but during the last dozen or so games really has turned it on to that level.
0: And I don't know if it was the offseason talks about him getting out here, that lit a fire, if it was the fact that he wasn't healthy and that was taken away from him, his ability was taken away from him, and you want to make sure to capitalize on it once you're feeling healthy and great and you know that you've got that special Mm -hmm. something back. Whatever it was that has lit that fire under him, maybe it's a couple different logs that were lit under the fire. He is playing like the superstar that we know him to be and i asked you yesterday off the air i said is vladimir tarasenko the type of guy that when he's playing at his peak elevates everyone around him and it just seems like he's a force multiplier when Mm -hmm. as as chief mentioned ryan o'reilly's the same way but when he's on it seems like not only does he make others around him better but other people are trying to match his energy his effort his skill level and
3: he's an underrated passer even though he's a great shooter When you get them on a line with a guy like Buzhnevich and they both do the same thing, they can do some magical things together. So the Blues back in action tonight in Montreal. The baseball lockout continues. Jeff Passan asked on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio last night, when this thing's going to end? When is this lockout going to be over?
5: Well, if there's not a deal by February 28th, Major League Baseball has told the players that we will not have games on opening day, March 31st. I would like to believe that these two sides, which are meeting tomorrow for, I think, the
4: sixth time now since the lockout started, understand that the clock is ticking.
3: I don't have much confidence in them, do you?
0: Absolutely not. Why, as Jeff Passon said, will we think that both sides would feel like the clock is ticking? Shouldn't they have felt the clock ticking when the actual deadline expired on December 1st? Would have been good. Wouldn't they have felt the clock ticking when earlier this week pitchers and catchers were actually supposed to report? It feels like these arbitrary deadlines or this manufactured sense of urgency that we have does not exist with them.
3: It is February 17th. We're two and a half months into this thing. And as Jeff Passon said, this will be the sixth time that they've met in two and a half months.
0: Which is absolutely ridiculous. They should yep. be in a room meeting every day every until day. they start making headway and get this thing done.
3: Michelle last night at Schaeffitzer Arena. Fred Thatch leading four Billikens in double figures. Jer- uh, Nesbitt had 16. Jimerson had 12. They got 13 from Terrence Hargrove, and the Billikens just rolled LaSalle 90-64, to snapping that two-game losing streak. And uh, the Illini fall at mm-hmm. Rutgers 70-59, to the gold the Rutgers what what Scarlet Knights Scarlet Knights I knew it was a Knights
0: (laughs) Oh come on Randy the Big Ten force that Rutgers is you don't know the Scarlet Knights (laughs) okay I do actually they're a pretty good team though this is the fourth ranked team that they've beaten this season and also when Illinois doesn't make their first 13 shot attempts you're obviously in a hole that you have to Mm -hmm. dig out of they were never really in that game
3: No, too bad. 70-59 to was the final. And Michelle mentioned that we were supposed to start spring training a couple of days ago. Pitchers and catchers were supposed to have their first workouts yesterday, as a matter of fact. Mm. And it's safe to say that we're going to have a delayed start to spring training. And as Jeff Passa noted, perhaps, likely, perhaps, a delayed start to the regular season. And you wonder what effect, Michelle, this will have on the magic of Cardinal Nation. When you look at history, it used to be that Cardinal fans would pass Cardinal baseball down through generations. And they could always find a shot on TV of somebody scoring the game in the stands or a grandfather or grandmother showing a grandchild how to score the game kids learned how to score and enjoy baseball from their parents and grandparents and people went to games I, I remember going to games to watch tom Seaver pitch my parents my dad would take me to watch tom Seaver pitch or my dad would take me out of school during the day say hey let's go down and watch a baseball game every year i got mm-hmm. out of school early to go to a game nice and in 1987 the cardinals win the world series in 82 they're awesome and really entertaining in 1985 and then in 1987 this market of two point at then 2.5 million people draws three million and peter eubroth comes to town and says this is a miracle of modern sport that a market like this is able to draw three million people and for the last 35 years or so we've been known as the best fans in baseball we've had the best crowds relative to our market size it's been a tradition. It's been something that we take pride in as St. Louisans in Cardinal Nation. But in 2019, Michelle, we don't sell out for the NLCS, which was stunning to me, even though the weather was horrible. I tried to make excuses, but the fact of the matter is, the Cardinals didn't sell out for the NLCS against the Nationals. It was right? Shocking.
0: Yeah, and and mm-hmm. people nationally were like, "What is going on?" Right. And I think a lot of people locally we're saying well the weather's terrible and we know that this team is not going to win right. so
3: so last year though the cardinals trade for Nolan Arenado and yes we're in the midst of a pandemic but things opened up at the ballpark for full capacity in June and in September the cardinals win 17 in a row and didn't sell out a single game last year didn't sell out a single game biggest crowd was 43,000 when Albert Pujols came to town on Memorial Day And the last game of a 17-game winning streak, they drew 35000 for a team that clinched the division. And you look now at Cardinal Nation, and you wonder, I do, is Cardinal Nation dead? And is baseball going to drive a nail into the coffin here with the way that they're treating baseball fans? This is no fault, by the way, of the fans that aren't going. No. This is the fault of baseball, uh, of a sport that they have advocated being boring, and things that are really out of fans' control. But I wonder if we'll ever get back to a point where baseball will be that passed-down religion in St. Louis and in this region anymore.
0: It's a confluence of things, right, that contribute to this. Yes, a global pandemic kept a lot of people away from the ballpark because they were concerned about their health and safety. I think a lot of people still really feel like they're afraid to go downtown because of the crime issues that happen. And then I think there's a subset of the fans that say this team hasn't won since 2011 and that's not good enough. Mm -hmm. And until I feel like this is a true contending team, I'm not giving this organization my money. We just talked about this at the top of the segment, how difficult it is to win. It's very hard to win in modern sports and the Cardinals have been in it virtually every season since they won that championship. But the standards in St. Louis are so high that that is simply Mm -hmm. not good enough for a lot of people. Couple that with the fact that we went through a global pandemic and our consumption habits changed. And a lot of people still have kids that are doing virtual school from home or maybe they're working from home. And the routine of I'm going to get home from work, turn on the game or get home from work, race down to the game because I have FOMO because it's the biggest thing happening in town has dissipated. We don't Mm -hmm. view it that way anymore. And if I'm baseball and I'm looking at the fact that in St. Louis, Missouri, there wasn't a sellout. During a run like that, after the ballpark was open to capacity, I'm worried.
3: Now, here's an, a couple of interesting texts. Number one from the 636. Let's just forget about baseball and drop the Cardinals. As a fan, I'm pretty over it at this point, and I'm ready to celebrate MLS. Let's go St. Louis.
0: May, that is part of it. I think uh, uh, the success of the Blues, too, has probably shifted some people's financial resources. Mm-hmm. If they want to go to Enterprise yep. Center and see a team that recently won a cup and is in contention for another one. And from the
3: 314. 314. Most season ticket holders are older people, and COVID plays a big issue because a lot of people died.
0: That's true. That's a very fair point.
3: And from the 636, we don't go to games anymore because of the crime issues in the city, plus the idea that the games now take almost four hours on any given night.
0: That's true. If you have kids, I mean, everything that you just talked about, going to the ballpark when you were a kid and getting out of school early, now it just seems like it's such a process to go to a baseball game. If you have kids, Mm -hmm. you're thinking, okay, what time do I need to get home? How do I get them to the ballpark? It's going to cost me X amount of dollars to park, to feed them. Uh, We want to get some merchandise, whatever. And then I have to get home at a certain time so that I can get them in bed before school again. It's a lot if you're a parent.
3: How about this one from the 314? And this is really valid. I'm done with baseball. The entire world was dealing with a pandemic, and baseball seemed like they didn't want to do anything but argue.
0: That is true. I think that during that time, they turned off a lot of people. They could have been this unbelievable galvanizing force for our country. And instead, they do what they always do and what they're doing now. And they couldn't read the room and they're fighting with each other about money.
3: Mm -hmm. This one from the 217. Don't forget that you can no longer watch baseball on TV if you're a cord cutter and stream your television.
0: Oh, yeah, that's another fact. I think if it's not in your mind's eye all the time. If it's difficult for you to seek out the product, Mm -hmm. you're going to pivot to something else.
3: And a lot of the people that would like to watch regionally, MLB.tv has prevented those people from access. You've got people in Illinois and Iowa and Indiana that because of MLB.tv restrictions can't watch the games, which is patently ridiculous.
0: Can you imagine that if you're baseball and you're having all these conversations about how to improve your sport, how to entice a younger generation into enjoying it and becoming fans? Maybe make it accessible to everyone. Step number one. Step number one is play. Step number two, make it accessible to everyone.
3: And we're going to talk about this throughout the course of the morning. Is Cardinal Nation dead? But I want to get to this from the 573 because this is a really good one because it's sports related. Had clients in town from Nike about 15 years ago. Random Wednesday night against the Marlins, 40,000 plus in the stands. They were absolutely baffled at the crowd size. I remember saying, this is every game in St. Louis. Think those times are gone.
0: I agree. I think so too. And maybe things will be different this upcoming season if Cardinal Nation really feels like this is a contending team a lot of people are gonna buy tickets to see Yachty and Wayno because Mm -hmm. they know that it's a finite amount of time that you can really do that and savor it and show your respect and appreciation for those two players who've done so much for this organization and our community but on a on a random, random day game versus the Pirates, where a lot of people like you, Randy, would have been skipping work or skipping mm-hmm. school to go down there, is anyone going to really care anymore?
3: And if you're Bill DeWitt, Bill DeWitt Jr., Bill DeWitt III, and you're listening to 101 ESPN, and we're talking about them hitching their wagon for crowds onto the nostalgia of seeing Yadi and Waino one more time, how do you feel about that? I'm not going to see the, the games. I'm, I I want to celebrate Yadi and Waino because they've been here forever, but they aren't going to be here next year. Then what do we hitch our wagon to?
0: That's a really good point. That's a really good point. And someone from the 618 brings up a good point. Launch angle is killing baseball, too. No one wants to sit around bored watching strikeouts for one solo homer. We talked about how analytics have pushed a lot of people away from the game. The product isn't as exciting and entertaining as it used to be.
3: I always go back to our opening day discussion with Bob Costas last year. Uh-huh. And he said and I, I was I spoke to Joe Torrey yesterday. I was with a group that spoke to Joe Torre and he said, I don't pay attention to analytics. And it is, it's three true outcomes. And Bob said analytics have killed the game. And in terms of the enjoyment of the game, the action of a sport, it has because yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. I don't want to sit around and wait for some I don't watch baseball to watch somebody walk. And I don't watch baseball to wait around for the odd home run. And I certainly don't watch baseball to watch a guy strike out. And that's what baseball does now.
0: And think about doing all of that when it's going to cost you a lot of money and you have to sit in the heat downtown.
3: Yeah, right. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, we're going to get a quick edition of Sick of It into 101 ESPN and the Brown and Crouppen to the uh, text line brought to you by Air Comfort Services next on 101 ESPN.
2: We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
6: I'm over it, Sharon. I can't take this no more. I am done. I'm sick of it. Do you hear me?
2: Sick of it. I can't take it anymore.
7: These people are the worst. Carriker and
3: Smallman are sick of it. Michelle, Randy, Matt Rocchio here, and we want your text, 65780, the Air Comfort Service text line. Michelle, as we have reached this point, February 17th, I am sick of the fact that we aren't going to spring training.
0: Oh, same. And, I, But we'll eventually go, right?
3: I hope so, but the reality has kind of set in for me that uh, there's a chance that we might not.
0: No, Randy, don't give up hope.
3: I'm sick of the fact that we might not.
0: No, it can't, it can't go down this, this is, way.
3: This lockout is the stupidest thing ever.
0: It is so dumb. It is. I, I wish that we could just go in a room with these people and be like, do you realize how stupid you are? Yeah. Well, and what are you guys yeah. doing? Explain yourselves.
3: Right. And, and the, the small pictures that they're dealing with, that they, they don't realize that they're killing the golden goose for two or 4% of the baseball revenue. It's ridiculous
0: it is ridiculous but this is what we've come to expect from baseball right right i mean stupid you know what i'm sick of randy seeing images from the ram super bowl parade
3: i thought it was kind of funny
0: because no one showed up yeah yeah but i missed the game so i didn't see it go down so i didn't have that emotional Uh reaction in real time. But it was very annoying yesterday to see it all over my timeline.
3: Yeah, Matt Rocchio was at the basketball game last night. I was at the basketball, the Billiken game last night. And their crowd was kind of reminiscent at Chaffetz Arena of the Rams victory parade.
7: Oh, Rams would have killed for that kind of density. (laughs) I mean, no, and yeah, as much as I'm sick of the Rams stuff, that was... That was the absolute definition of schadenfreude. I, I sat back with a smile on my face looking at that ridiculous, ridiculous uh, parade. And, and, and kudos to Frank Cusimano, who last night on the news um, cut out and said, oh, no, we don't have a video anymore. And said, I'll show you a real parade and cut straight to the video <laughs> from 1999. And I was like, that's how you do a newscast, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah.
3: By the way, I, I saw on Twitter that somebody did refer, I guess, Cronky did. Say something at the parade, and they said that that is kind of like a definition of his people skills. I didn't see or hear Cronky at the oh, parade I didn't either. I know, but uh, I get we he was know he's probably that,
0: forced to, right? I imagine the owner has yeah, to say something yeah. at the parade.
3: But he does have limited people skills. Uh, what do we have on the text line, Matthew? Six five seven eight zero, the Air Comfort Service text line. This one's short, sweet, but it's to the point. I'm sick of Rob Manfred. I agree with that one.
0: Same. Come on, Robbie. What are and you I, doing?
3: You know what? I used to give Rob Bamford the benefit of the doubt. I don't give him the benefit of the doubt anymore.
0: After he called the trophy, the World Series trophy, a hunk of metal. That was
3: pretty stupid.
0: That that really let me and I know we all miss misspeak sometimes, say things that we would like to take back, but I think that was a real peek into his brain and how he he views the way that right. this the sport is. And
3: say what you want about Bud Sealy, but you knew that Bud Sealing loved baseball, right? Yes. That he was a representative not all the time a great representative but a representative of the fans you couldn't have a guy that's more disparate in terms of representing the fans than Rob Manfred who appears to have real disdain for the people that love the game
0: we should elect the commissioner like we elect a president where it's a fan someone can run and they have to lay out their platform I care about baseball I want to be the commissioner these are the issues I think are at play these are the ways that I would try to fix it Michelle
3: there's only one guy who Bob Costas
0: that would be great yep. i would love to see bob Only costas be the commissioner of I baseball
7: pedro strapp immediately gets them like an indefinite suspension from ever playing baseball That's again. true he does <laughs> i'm sick of the weather going back and forth 60 to 35 just stick to something for a couple weeks like you know maybe
3: the 50s so i was driving in this morning in the rain and wondering about when the next time i'm actually going to be on a golf course is
0: well hopefully it's that spring training with me I randy so.
3: yeah. was it
7: yesterday yeah, was it yesterday? Did you get out? Did you get out no, before I the rain not, hit?
3: No. Oh. no, I was really tired yesterday for some reason.
0: Randy, I've been reading a lot about manifesting, about visualizing something in your mm-hmm. brain and it coming true. We mm-hmm. need to just visualize us at spring training. Okay. We need to visual. We need to manifest it. We need to counteract the stupidity of baseball, and we need to come together and manifest them getting a deal done so that all of us can have spring training start soon.
3: We're going to have Greg Amzinger in our next segment, and Greg Amzinger does have access to the commissioner. And I'm going to ask Greg to send to the commissioner a text saying that uh, there's this broadcast crew in St. Louis (laughs) that really needs to get to spring training. They've never been allowed to go before.
0: They got the green light, they need to
3: go. Yeah, first time ever. First
0: time ever. And the the people of St. Louis want that content. We want to talk about prospects. We want to talk about position battles. We want to talk about what this team is going to look like next year, we need it.
3: And I don't know if we should just go 100% positive here or if we should point out, that we do have a large percentage of people texting in saying that in terms of baseball, they're sick of it.
0: That is true. After we asked the very provocative question, is Cardinal Nation dead? I don't know if we've got this much response in the text line, maybe ever.
3: Yeah, and by the way, we're gonna return to that at eight. If you wanna weigh in with a mic drop, feel free to do so. On our Rhino Shield mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN app. Matthew, thank you very much. Thank you, Randy. And thank you very much for your response to Sick of It on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we will visit with MLB Network's Greg Amzinger and try to get him to ease our minds next on 101 ESPN.
2: We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
3: The best television host going in America. Probably the world right now. Definitely the world. Greg Amzinger, MLB Network, a product of St. Louis and the uh, Lindenwood University, who joins us now in the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Good morning, sir. How you doing?
1: Oh, I'm doing really well now. I mean that, that, that was a very efficient and popping introduction. I, I really appreciate it. I hosted MLB tonight yesterday and I, I came up with a, a segment that I have received so much response from. It's an immense amount of text messages and people from St. Louis just really upset that I, buddies of mine, said this on TV. And I want to get your thoughts on it. Last night, I ranked the nine greatest Montreal Expos of all time. I don't look at the Expos as the Nationals. Like, this whole hybrid rank Max Scherzer with Pedro Martinez is ridiculous to me, like, Completely different cities, different uniforms, different cultures. I didn't do that. So just Expos, right? Nine best Expos ever. Mm -hmm. And when I led into it, I said the Expos were my second favorite team. And the psychology of having a second favorite team upset a lot of my friends Hmm. from St. Louis because that's blasphemy. There is only the Cardinals. You can't have a second favorite team. But then we had – I have probably hundreds of text messages and tweets from viewers that love that idea. So many people had a second favorite team for very different reasons. I love the Expos because I love their logo. I love their uniforms. And I thought they played baseball like the Cardinals played. The Shields, Grissom, Olu, Walker, they all ran. They all stole bases. So I like the way they played. They were my second favorite team Did you guys have a second favorite team.
0: No, Greg. Because when you have a spouse like the Cardinals, you don't need a mistress.
3: <laughs> uh, Greg, this might be unpopular. My second favorite team as a kid was the Yankees. Really? Yep. It, it was the the Reggie Thurman Munson, Greg Nettles, Ron Guidry. It was it it was that iteration of the Yankees that went through all the different managers in the seventies that won okay. a couple World Series, went to three in a row. <laughs>
1: I'm bothered by that, Randy, and and and, and this is the, I'm the guy that came up with this idea. You to me, you to me would be a guy that would like to grind through, maybe like the pirates from the '70s, you know, and and or or, or I don't know, like maybe you like the Devil Rays when they first launched. Like you, you didn't really strike me as a front runner with the Yankees.
3: That well, surprised me. The, there were a couple of things that went into it. Number one, my second favorite team was not going to be a National League team. And number two, I do think that the, the Yankees were just coming out of that malaise. You know, the Cardinals ended in 1964, ended the dynasty from the 40s, 50s, 60s, uh, early part of the 60s. And then they went into uh, somewhat of a malaise for about a decade. And as they were coming out of it, when George Steinbrenner bought the team in 73, I just kind of liked the dynamic. I, I thought it was very cool. See, that's funny
1: because I also got backlash over the Expos being a National League team. How can you have your second favorite team in the same league as your favorite team? Same division, as a matter of fact. It it is unique. Totally get that. But do you remember in 94 when Ken Hill was unstoppable? Mm -hmm. I loved Ken Hill the Cardinals. Former Cardinals. Seeing him get traded, get sent over to Montreal, watching the Expos look like the best team in baseball. They were that year. If there was no strike, they were going to win the World Series. That's the way I viewed it. I love Ken Hill, and it just added to it. If the Cardinals, who were scuffling in the early 90s, if the Cardinals couldn't win at all, I just never bought into the American League. Their style of play, a bunch of masters, dead brain nevers on the mound. It wasn't my style of baseball. I loved uh, National League baseball. I thought Felipe Olu was one of the best managers in the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. It's weird. I, but no doubt, the logo of the Expos, that's my favorite logo. And... and And it's the backlash I got from my buddies in St. Louis. It's just alarming to me that the way I look at it is this, our favorite team for the most part, 99% of us it's dictated based on where you were born and who your parents are and who they like. Yeah. Right. So your second favorite team, you can, you can like dive into the psychology of free will and you actually get to make a decision on your own. To me, it's a bit more interesting.
3: So I've got, uh, I'm just going off the top of my head here. I've got Andre Dawson as number one. I've got Pedro as number two. I've got Tim Raines as number three. I've got Walker as number four. No, I've, I've, I've got Steve Rogers as five. I hate Gary Carter. I'm gonna I'm gonna put Gary Carter in my top nine, but I hated him. R.I.P. Uh, you hated him too. Don't tell me you didn't. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. I did. And it's so bad. Look man we were celebrating te- yesterday was the ten year anniversary of his death uh, from brain cancer and the kid, man, loved cameras more than Greg Amstinger He wanted a single <laughs> shot more than I ever did. That, you know that's a fact. He loved yep, he did. media. Yeah. He was a hell of a player though. He was, man. His walk year Montreal, twenty seven bombs, hundred two RBIs, and then catch for back when no yeah. one was really doing that. He was a special talent. Your list is interesting to me. I don't understand what we have against Vladdy Guerrero Sr. Uh, You know what, I completely
3: forgot him. I'm sorry, I I forgot him. That's it. I remember him as an angel. Okay, I I will put him, yeah. Uh, You know what, I got to, I think I might have put him, I'll I'll put him three. I just forgot him. He's number one. He's number one on Greg's list. He's
1: number one. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, best arm. Uh, he was he was a better version of Andre Dawson when Dawson was an Expo, and and that is like the crazy thing is we interviewed Andre Dawson. He was on our show yesterday. <laughs> I went to break and I go, let's see if the Hawks number one on Greg's list. I, I, didn't,
4: <laughs> I didn't have the I didn't have the heart to tell him he was number three.
1: I had Tim Raines number two. Tim Raines had four seasons of an on-base percentage over .390. And this, isn't a, this, this isn't a slugger. This is a guy that if you let him get on base, all hell breaks loose. If you look at stealing a stolen base percentage, he is the most efficient and successful a base runner in the history of the game, 85% success rate stealing bags. That's better than Brock. That's better than Ricky Henderson. I'm sorry. He had to be number two. Vladdy with all his 40 homer seasons, he. It, when people are like, he doesn't run it up, he stole 40 bags. He's an incredible talent. He's number one. I had Hawk three. Then I had Gary Carter number four. I had Steve Rogers number five. All 13 years in the big league, mm-hmm. pitch for the Expos. He led baseball in ERA one year, finished second in a Cy Young. He is one of the most overlooked pitch to contact starters there's ever been in a game. He's great. Then after that, it gets tricky. Like, I had Larry Walker, I believe number, yeah, I had Tim Wallach number six. Tim Wallach is underrated
3: was- historically, too.
1: Like three gold gloves, very consistent. The way he ended his time there, he had two seasons with a batting average under 230. So kind of rebranded him, but he was consistent, steady Eddie. He's number six. Larry Walker wasn't the Larry Walker. He wasn't Colorado winning batting titles and MVPs. I had him at number seven, but he was still, you could see, one of the most talented and gifted players. I had El Presidente, Dennis Martinez. a oh, good call. Eight. Good call. He was an ace for them for eight years. And then number nine, I had Pedro Martinez, and I had, I had a hard time putting him in there. He had three full seasons. As, as a stud for them. He had the single greatest pitching season ever for the Expos. 1-9 ERA, 1-1 Cy Young. But I couldn't put him ahead of all those guys. So I had him number nine. And I, my heart breaks from Marquise Grissom, who I love. Yep. Jose Vidro was a stud. Oh, man, Bryn Smith and the red beard, former Cardinal. But there were a lot of guys I thought about. I just I couldn't pull the trigger on that. Rusty Staub. Anyway, you could tell I was entertained by this.
3: Greg, we th- this is amazing. We had this conversation literally this week at the Character household. At our first house, it was a split level. And in front of the entrance, in front of the fr- front porch, we had giant bushes. They were... Eight feet tall, and they were probably 10, 12 feet long. And when the Cardinals signed Bryn Smith for the nineteen eighty nine season at Christmas time, I spelled out the name Bryn Smith in Christmas lights on on those bushes. <laughs> so that was part of the Christmas decoration of our house was Bryn Smith being spelled out in Christmas lights <laughs> on the on these bushes. My wife still remembers it, and we were talking about that the other night.
1: What What is your wife's first name? again? Joan. B- this woman, Joan, has a special place in heaven. She really does.
0: Without that. a doubt.
3: <laughs> <laughs> she was laughing about it the other day.
0: She said, why did you spell out Bryn
3: Smith? And I said, well, the Cardinals had signed him as a free agent. <laughs> <laughs> This is like the
1: weird all alter, ver, alternative version of Chevy Chase putting Christmas lights up on Christmas vacations. It's, like it's the Cardinal nerd version of that. It's
4: the greatest thing I've ever heard.
3: Hey, uh, is Cardinal Nation dead? Last year, 17, uh, this is our question of the day, Greg. Last year, 17th consecutive win where they clinched the division, they drew 35000 NLCS 2019, we don't sell out. Is Cardinal Nation as we knew it dead?
1: No, 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 no. Everyone was dealing with this. Every single market was dealing with the same thing. The COVID apprehensiveness is still a thing. Uh, People weren't uh, 100% motivated to go sit next to a stranger without a mask on. And it's not a reflection of Cardinal Nation. It's not. What you're going to see as we see the vaccination numbers continue to rise and and and, and and the cases go down dramatically. Uh, once this really gets in our rearview mirror, it's all going to come back. You have to understand, man, I, I, going to Cardinal baseball games is like a rite of passage. But if there was one thing I ever noticed, and this is an interesting idea that I had years ago, active, elderly. Think about this for a second. Active elderly. Well, one of the reasons why I loved moving to Manhattan years ago was I saw so many elderly people active. They were walking with their, with their walkers or with their little cart to go to the grocery store. And they were moving around, man. They were everywhere. It was, I was like, you know what? I could grow old in a city like this and be a healthy elderly person. But going to Cardinal baseball games, it reminded me of that. Elderly people are everywhere at Push Stadium. They want to go watch the Cardinals. It's something they come out in droves to do. It's what they have always noticed about Cardinal baseball. It's from all ages. It spans the entire gamut. But when you have a global pandemic going on, I don't blame certain members of the elderly for going, Ah, eh, I going to sit this one out. <laughs> so <laughs> I think that altered the attendance records all across the board, but specifically for that loyal fan base of the 55 and over crowd in St. Louis going to Cardinal baseball games, those season ticket holders. So I do not believe Cardinal Nation is dead. I think it's going to come back. Uh, with a ton of momentum in 2022 and especially 23. I mean, look, man, it's going to be Molina and Wainwright's last go around. You're going to see a packed house again. I'll always believe and bet on Cardinal Nation.
0: Well, Greg, we've got to play first. So let's talk lockout. We wanted to save this to the end because it's such a bummer. But do you have any hope that this is going to get resolved soon? Or do you think we're looking at opening day being missed?
1: Well, I I, I look at it this way, Michelle. I uh, live my life. uh, I do this in television. Expect the worst, and maybe you'll be pleasantly surprised. That's what I do when I'm live on TV. I expect everything to go wrong, and maybe I'll be pleasantly. Most of the time, I am pleasantly surprised. Things rarely go haywire, right? But I'm always prepared for that. I am prepared for opening day to be delayed. I am. I know that spring training, no doubt, is delayed. So uh, that's what I'm preparing for. I think both sides are preparing for that. They're meeting again today, hoping that doesn't happen. But preparing for the worst is the best way to view this. Will we have a postseason? 100% we will. That will definitely happen. There's way too much money to be lost to not have a postseason. So baseball will be played. That's a fact. It will be a season this year. Will there be a full 162? That is up for debate, and I think we should all expect the worst. Just expect the worst, and maybe we'll be pleasantly surprised.
3: You have access to the commissioner. Can you please inform the commissioner that there's a radio show in St. Louis Mm -hmm. that for the first time ever got the green light to attend spring training, and the management's ready to pay for the trip, and we're ready to go down there and help sell some tickets to Major League Baseball.
1: Oh, okay. So, what you're asking me to do is ask the commissioner what date should you guys show up? To cover yes. That yeah, yeah, we need to pick uh, our flights, oh, Greg. Yeah. All right. Well, let me uh, stop. You know, I'm texting right now. Uh, hold on, real quick. i text. Hey, commish. Morning, commish. Uh Got a couple friends in the loo wanting to know when they can go to Jupiter? Question mark? Question mark? Oh, he's typing. He's typing right now. Oh, Hold the bubbles, second.
4: yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, here, it is. Here, here, here it is. I told you before to never text me again. Uh, I'm so sorry, guys. I tried. I I, I tried my best. I'm so sorry.
3: Uh, I appreciate you trying. Okay, one last thing here. We, we And I, I don't want to waste our time, but uh, as we've been discussing this, two really good players Ellis Valentine and Warren Cromarty, who had, had v- virtually the same number, studs, for that Montreal team when Andre Dawson was playing center field, when you were loving that team. I kind of think I'm going to take Ellis Valentine over Cromartie. And uh, I think I
1: would, too. And uh, Ellis Valentine made my previous Greg's list of the nine greatest Valentines oh, yeah, in baseball <laughs> history on Valentine's Day. Well done. Day. Well done. How about that? Now and, it, I played with it. There were some Valentines mm, with Valentine. That's fine. Yeah. Bob, Bobby, Valentine. Bobby Valentine was number four on Greg's list. Don't worry. Don't think he was number one. He was only number four. Oh. That was Valentine made the list.
3: Okay. And then uh, Jeff Reardon, 152 saves as a member of the Expos. He was really good with them. He was. John Wetland was
1: really good for that. Yeah, he well. was too, right? They had, of, yeah, they had a couple of really good closers. I just couldn't put any of those guys in front of the nine that I saw. The Steve Rogers one, man. Remember what Chris Carpenter was to the Cardinals rotation, taking all the young guns under his wing. Mm-hmm. You know, Bryn Smith, Bryn Smith was to Steve Rogers as Adam Wainwright was to Chris Carpenter. And people don't look at it that yeah, way. Right. I, these lists, man, I love diving into them. And it upsets a lot of very passionate fans who are loyal to their fan base and, and their team. And Montreal fans still adore them. And I hope, I really truly hope that the Expos come back. I believe they will. We're definitely going to expand. I think that's going to come out when this collective bargaining agreement is all done. We're going to expand to 32 teams. It'll probably happen in the next five to seven years. I'm so excited for it. And I hope Montreal gets a team again because they were branded by a bad ballpark. But a beautiful 28,000, 30,000 seat venue, smaller. Put it right there, those cobblestone streets in downtown Montreal. Oh my goodness. It'll 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 thrive. So I hope the expos come back and be great for baseball.
3: I'm struggling with my last two. I'm I'll text you my top seven. I don't I know you'll disagree with me because I have Pedro number three. But uh, it's a fun yeah, he's list. He's a great
1: player, but third best expo ever?
3: Ah. I, I've got Dawson Guerrero Pedro. Reigns, Walker, Rogers, Carter, and then I'm struggling with eight and nine here. I'm working on it. And I think I Alice did. Valentine might make that list.
1: Well, 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 Marquise Grissom, Dennis Martinez, dive into the numbers, man.
3: El Presidente <laughs> was tough. Yeah. I, I've got some work to do. No doubt about it. I, yeah, I've, I've it had does. 15 minutes to work on this. <laughs> <laughs> and we're doing it's a radio right, show. Yeah,
4: that's true. Impressive. That's true.
3: I I go into my office, and I just do
1: this for, like, hours. So I put you on the spot here, so I I do understand
3: that. Next time you're in town, we will blow out the clock, and we'll have to have you in studio for an hour.
1: Oh, that would be a blast. Are you kidding? I'm a total windbag. I feel bad for Michelle. She'll be sitting there going, when is this guy going to stop talking?
0: (laughs) It'll be awesome. No, I love it, Greg. (laughs) You're the
1: best. <laughs> hey, uh,
3: Greg, can I give you one other note here? And I know that I'm blowing the clock out. Heck, we're doing it on the phone here. But during the course of this programming, during the last 17 minutes that you've been on the air, I got a text from my club here in St. Louis that says, due to the current weather conditions and the extended forecast, the club will remain closed today, February 17th. So no golf for Andy.
1: Wow, that's a bummer. Yeah. I got rejected by the commissioner live on the air, and you got rejected by your golf club.
3: (laughs) Bad day for Randy. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, man. (laughs) <laughs> you guys did that. See you later. That's Greg Amzinger, MLB Network on 101 ESPN.
7: I can't
0: believe you guys have second favorite teams. I never even considered it. Oh really? When the when the Cardinals is your team, like I said, when you have a spouse like the Cardinals, you don't consider a mistress. Matthew?
7: It's the only sport where it didn't develop for me either. Like football, I had I could I had tons of other teams that I was at, had my back pocket. NBA, basketball, even hockey a little bit, I could watch other teams. For some reason, baseball, it just felt weird to ever branch out and even get like an AL team. It it felt a lot weirder than with football or anything like that.
3: When I was a kid, the National League and American League didn't play each other. We didn't have interleague play. So I kind of had an American League team. In the NFL, you've always played the other conference, NBA, NHL. And I think that's part of the reason that I had a a, a number two team in baseball. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah,
0: Never even crossed my mind. uh, And
3: once we had- Following
0: one team is hard enough. Yeah. Right. It is Uh, a commitment.
3: I never really until the football Cardinals left town, they were my team and I I didn't have a second NFL team and I've never had a second NHL team. I've it's always been the blues and then whomever else I've never uh, like I've liked guys when they left here. Uh, Prongs when he left here. uh, Hull when he when he left here. But I I haven't liked teams that uh, have uh, have been there. All right. Coming up get your text into the air comfort service text line 65780 for take it or leave it by the way we're going to return to our is cardinal nation dead conversation coming up at the top of the hour here on 101 espn
2: we're right back to the Character and smallman podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn take it
3: Time for Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. Get your text into the air. Comfort Service, text line 65780. Michelle Jamar Chase, Rookie of the Year, Offensive Rookie of the Year in the NFL. Of course, in the Super Bowl, great player. And his lady, Amber Nicole. She's on the Insta.
0: Amber Nicole. Yeah. Shout out.
3: Yeah. Uh, And uh, so before the season started, before training camp, she hopped on the Insta and she said that uh, Jamar was trash AF. Will blank anything walking? Don't even wash oh. his blank. This oh. man's whole life is cap AF. Don't believe the hype. This man is really dirty in real life. That's Amber Nicole before training camp. Now Amber Nicole is having Jamar Chase's baby. Oh, how sweet! Uh, so take it or leave it. I guess it.
0: they've they've worked it out.
3: Yeah, take it or leave it. Uh, being rookie of the year makes you look a lot cleaner
0: i'll take that <laughs> real shiny and clean yeah but he amber
3: nicole well, wow you're a sweetie
0: that that's a lot to put out on social media
3: it is <laughs> it really that's is a lot well and then she put out on social media her baby bump that uh she's gonna have well, uh,
0: muzzle to them on the new edition yeah,
3: congratulations yeah, there you go to jamar and amber
0: well, speaking of the Super Bowl, Randy. By I'm, the way, how many girls yes. are out
3: there with the last name Nicole? It's really crazy.
0: Well, I don't think that's her last name. Oh, okay. It's probably a first name, middle name situation. I
3: got you. Okay.
0: You know, like uh, Carly Ray. Okay. Or like, uh, I'm trying At to think least of name. At she's them.
3: got Jepson, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, but
3: Carly Ray being the middle yeah, name. Yeah, but
0: maybe it didn't fit okay. all in her Instagram handle, her okay. last name. You know, that's just her Instagram moniker. Okay. Maybe. I don't know.
3: Yeah, it's just. Listen, I the, think if, the
0: only wag that we pay attention to is Scooty Booty.
3: Scooty, uh, what's Scooty up to? She's got uh, content every single day. She was, I think. Uh, let me get to it. She was, I think, getting on a private plane
0: yesterday. Look at Scooty, all the way up.
3: Yeah, so I'll, I'll, and Scooty is accomplished. <laughs> I mean, she's a legitimate dental hygienist.
0: Yeah, she's got her own career. She's thriving.
3: But uh, yeah, let me find uh, Scooty's latest uh, story here on the. On the Insta because it was something about a plane and she's she's prolific on the Insta.
0: you know i did think about scooty when i was in africa i was like it's been a <laughs> couple weeks what is scooty up to
3: i totally understand She's living
0: her there. life i you know okay. okay well while you look up the latest scooty update yeah. i'll give you my teoli how about that got it so speaking of the super bowl a lot of people here in st louis are not thrilled that the rams won the super bowl you know it's not really something oh, we no, were hoping so. to see but take it or leave it you are excited Or at least appreciative that one of the all-time greats in Aaron Donald is now a champion.
3: Yeah, I'm I'm appreciative of that. I
0: I am too. I was thinking about that yesterday when I saw that monster of a man shirtless at the parade. I thought he is one of the single greatest players I have ever seen. And that man deserves to be a champion. Whether it's with the Rams or not, I can compartmentalize my feelings. Aaron Donald deserves to be a champion. So I'm thrilled for him.
8: Uh,
3: I'm not going to disagree with that. You're right.
0: And I, and I will say, as much as we miss the NFL in town, I will always say we we were robbed of a team, but a terrible team at the time. We were truly robbed of an Aaron Donald career.
3: Especially since the last four, first four games of his career, we didn't even get to see him because <laughs> Kendall Langford was better.
0: That's right. Kendall Langford. That's yeah. a name I haven't heard in a long had get, time.
3: Had to get him into the lineup. Remember when Robert
7: Quinn was on punt block? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right, Matthew, what do you got for us? take it or oh take it or leave it wayno has a good year and decides to play one more year. Let the man retire, people. Say yeah. that again. I'm take really it good. or leave it wayno has a good year and decides to play one one more year.
0: I'm going to leave that because everything, I mean we talk to him every week and the idea of spending more time with his family is very omnipresent for him and I would imagine that he would want to make that decision rather than having his body or his skill set make it for him and it just seems like that's been on the door for a while whether he should choose to come back or not so i can't see him playing another year even though he probably could
7: i agree take it or leave it best to worst commissioners silver Bettman, goodell manfred and there's a pretty big gap between two and three
0: i will take that we'll take that as much as we hate roger goodell i can't say he hasn't done a better job than rob manfred
7: so, just look at the league go- popularity
0: yeah, the NFL is thriving They're making money hand over fist They're the most popular television show Probably 1-20 through 20 in America And baseball can't even get on the field So how could I possibly say that Roger Goodell Isn't doing a better job than Rob Manfred
7: right. Take it or leave it, Michelle is still treating judge to the colder weather after going to South Africa
0: Oh yeah, take that I'll Of take course, that, yeah. I mean, you should see me today I'm in sweatpants, a beanie I have a sweatshirt on Snow boots, a coat I went from 90 <laughs> degrees to this it's been a shock to the system, let me tell you. And still very jet-lagged, up by 2 a.m. every morning. What was the humidity like? Uh, during the day, pretty bad, but in in the morning and nighttime, great.
7: Like midday, like August August in St. Louis?
0: It was just more of a heat than, oh, than humidity, right. yeah.
7: Fair enough. Take it or leave it. The video of Joe Burrow introducing himself to the Rams D is another reason he's going to be a star in the league for a long time. Oh, I'll take that. I take that video. Yeah,
0: he's the best. You know I'm a big Joe Burrow supporter. And uh, he's just got it. He's got that je ne sais quoi. He's a star.
7: I was going to call it Savoie Faire, but je works as well. Take it or leave it. Baseball loses half the season.
0: I'll uh, leave that. I'm going to leave it. Maybe a third, but
7: not half. Third still seems like a lot. And take it or leave it. Bennington will be traded by the trade deadline of next season.
0: Leave it. Leave that too.
7: Because if the Blues desire to
3: trade him by the trade deadline of next year, he won't have any market value with that contract.
0: Yeah. If they if they really don't think that they're gonna make it work with him, I imagine Doug Armstrong wouldn't wait that long.
3: No. And gonna be difficult to find somebody to take that deal unfortunately. But
0: if anyone could do it, it would be Army. Right.
3: Thanks, Matthew. <laughs> thank you, Randy. And thank you very much for your texts to the Air Comfort Service Text Line 65780. Coming up, we want your mic drops, the Rhino Shield mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN app, and more texts about whether or not Cardinal Nation is dead. It's coming your way on 101 ESPN.
2: We're right back to the character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. A fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's character and smallman's fresh take.
9: Brought to you by the Schnooks Rewards app. Check out Good For You. A free wellness program available in the app today.
3: 808 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. John Kelly coming up in our next segment. We'll also talk blues with Jeremy Rutherford at 915. But this came up at the top of the show, and we, we kind of kicked it around yesterday. The question is, is Cardinal Nation dead? The fact that the Cardinals couldn't sell out an LCS games in 2019. The fact that they weren't able to sell out a single game last year. They did have 43000 for the game on Memorial Day with the Dodgers and Albert Pujols in town. But you get Nolan Arenado. You've got a team with young stars like Tyler O'Neal hitting 34 home runs. You have Harrison Bader being as stylish as he is and being a winning ball player. And you win 17 games in a row in September. And in the 17th game, when you clinch a playoff spot... You still only draw 35,000 people. And you wonder if the passion for Cardinal baseball is still what it was, Michelle, a decade ago in St. Louis.
0: I don't know if it's... I think you need to break that up into two different subsects the Cardinals and baseball because Mm -hmm. the Cardinals are a big part of us how many people when you go into someone's house and you're looking at the mantle of their family have a picture of them as a baby getting beaked by Fred bird it's just part of us it's what we do but I think the baseball component of Cardinal baseball has turned a lot of people away whether it's the pace of play or the way that the game is now the analytics has turned a lot of people away the fact that they don't think that the Cardinals are a true contender I mean it took a 17-game winning streak, an historic winning streak for the Cardinals to even be in a playoff position last year. I think that, and I guess that's part of the Cardinals aspect of this, but just the way that baseball's fighting and, and the pandemic, there's a lot of things from a baseball side and not necessarily because of the Cardinals that I think are keeping people away.
3: And I don't know if this is honestly something that would prevent somebody from buying a ticket or if they would buy a ticket anyway, but on our text line, there's a lot of people that say they don't like the Cardinals because of Mo.
0: I guess, yeah, but you would think that I, I that would be a reason for them to not buy a ticket. Right?
3: I, I don't know if those people would buy a ticket in the first place. Correct. The, the, I think those people are probably just predisposed to complaining.
0: But I think that, and again, this is me playing armchair psychologist. A lot of, I think Mo's done a fabulous job. This is mm-hmm. not me talking. It's just me revealing what we get on the text line. I think that people lump Mo and the analytics crowd together, which is something that they used to be a part of, now being almost on a different tier, like a condescending tier mm-hmm. for them, where they feel like maybe they've been phased out of this type of baseball, and they assign Mo to that group okay. of people.
3: Let's hear from friend of the station, friend of the show, Janet, with a mic drop. It could have been this
6: unbelievable, People are saying they're, that baseball's done with them, so they're done with baseball. I mean, if they don't care about us, why should we care about them?
3: That's a, a completely reasonable and well-thought-out and lucid mic drop. If they don't care about us, why should we care about them?
0: Yeah, I look at what baseball did during the pandemic. Look what they're doing now. If you had a product... And St. Louis is obviously such a great example of this for baseball. If you had a product that people really loved and then you started to see interest in it waning, wouldn't you do everything you could to evolve and capture that audience back? And instead, they're doing the number one thing to push people away, which is not make that product available. It's unbelievably short-sighted and and stupid what they're doing.
3: Yeah. As an industry right yes as an industry it
0: has nothing to do with the cardinals but it's interesting reading these texts on the text line randy because a lot of this is cardinal specific it's not necessarily just baseball like for instance from the 314 i don't have a great reason why but i just don't have the same desire to attend games i still watch them all but i'm not sure if that's the case for everyone i just don't care to actually go and that has to do with just the cardinals that's not necessarily a baseball thing
3: and i do think it is a societal thing especially from the pandemic people do like to spend more time at home now than they did before
0: absolutely think about what the cardinals games were before it was a fomo thing everybody's going to be at the game it's the biggest thing Mm -hmm. in town i feel like i need to be there FOMO kind of left us for a long time and now we don't feel that same. We almost have JOMO, the joy of missing out now. You yeah, know, everybody yeah. kind of likes their routine and likes to be at home and it just feels like we've lost that extra burst of energy to get out and do things sometimes because if you have to work all day, let's say you have kids too, you're, you're mm-hmm. dealing with kids and them having to maybe do virtual school or whatever and then you're thinking, okay, I have to race home Get them dressed get down to the ballpark pay for parking get food merchandise and then i need to get them home by a certain time and and all of that coupled with the fact that you might not see an exciting product on the field it just seems exhausting even when i lay it out whereas before it was a no-brainer we didn't even consider all of those factors a couple
3: of things michelle number one i would say that near 50 of the texts that we're getting refer to the crime rate in downtown st louis mm-hmm. which I'm sure the Cardinals, as they do their studies and due diligence into what's happening, they need to find a way, and they need to go to City Hall and find a way to fix that. And this one, Cardinal Nation isn't dead, but it is on life support. The younger generation is not in love with the game like the 50-plus people are. The love for the team and the game will not be there in the future. Wow. And, yeah, I, I wonder... How different that is. I can tell you from my kids who are 27 and 24, I don't think that they have the emotional attachment to the franchise that I have.
0: And why do you think that is?
3: I think because there are other things. There are other
0: overstimulation.
3: Yeah. yeah and, and I don't know if they're really, if that generation is emotionally attached to anything, really. Yeah. In, anything outside of their, their family, like family, their brand, nuclear brand family. loyal. Yeah. I, I don't know that there is anything from a sports perspective that and I could I could be completely lo- wrong here I'm just basing it on my two young people 27 and 24 but I don't I don't sense that there is a real strong emotional attachment to anything
0: this is an interesting text from the 618 Danny Mac and BT are too good, so people stay home and watch them. I kind of agree with that. We get very brand loyal to our broadcasters. We want to hear what Dan and BT have to say. And honestly, Randy, a lot of people now watch games on social media. They will be watching the broadcast, Mm -hmm. and they want to tweet about what they see or follow along with the game on social media to see what people are saying. And you don't need to buy a ticket to do that.
3: That's a great point. So there are a lot of reasons, and we're going to continue this conversation again at the top of the next hour. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Matt is here. And we are looking for a fighter for 830, and uh, you need to just text in the word FIGHT to 65780 with your name, and we'll get a fighter for 830, and we'll take more of your mic drops, if you'd like, coming up at 9 o'clock as well. Next up, though, we're going to talk some blues hockey with John Kelly, the voice of the blues on Bally Sports. He's next on 101 ESPN.
2: We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We are talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Blues booth. Boardwalk Hardwood Floors has great floors for every home with locations in West County, South County, St. Charles County, and our new location in Mid-County. And online at BoardwalkHardwood.com.
3: The Blues are at Montreal tonight. We have the pregame for you at 5 and the action at 6 here on 101 ESPN with Chris Kerber and Joe Vitale. And John Kelly will have the call on Valley Sports coming up at 6 o'clock tonight as well. And John is with us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker. JK, good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you, Randy? Everything is terrific. And the Blues have come away with a couple of victories and I really like the trajectory, the way that they've played these last two games. And I just want to get your take on how you feel about the way the Blues have played win or lose. And they've won them both, but the way they've played these last two games against Chicago and then the other night against Ottawa.
5: Yeah, well it's blues hockey, Randy, and they played the right way. And obviously it was a great response Saturday against Chicago after a disappointing effort against New Jersey, when they had not played for what, 12 days out of the all-star break. And, you know, I think you expected a little bit of rust in their game, but it was certainly disappointing to lose to New Jersey, um, especially when you're up by a goal going to the third period. But having said that, uh, they played a great game against Chicago. They held the Blackhawks to 16 shots on goal. And in the last game in Ottawa, you know, again, Ottawa is a banged up team. They're a young team, Randy, as we know. Uh, The Blues just controlled the offensive zone. Uh, I, I saw some comments from their head coach DJ Smith after the game that the blues were just a dominant cycle team in, in, in that game. And they were, and Ottawa didn't protect the front of the net either. So um, it was led by the Robert Thomas line with the Russians. And every time they were on the ice, it seemed like they had great chances. So yeah, they played the right way. It's great to see. And now you have to continue it again tonight in Montreal against the Montreal club, that obviously is really struggling, Randy. That's an understatement. <laughs> they only have eight wins on the year. Um, their special teams are bad. Their goals for and goals against. But they're, they're going to be a hungry team because they're still trying to get a win for their new coach, Marty St. Louis. Um, he came in last week, and so far they've they played better, but they haven't got a win. So they'll be hungry to get a win tonight.
0: Speaking of Montreal, John, how surprised are you at the state of the team right now considering we saw them in the Stanley Cup final last season?
5: Well, it's shocking, quite honestly. Uh, they are, you know, on an historic run of of poor play, you know, and they obviously have just a great history with 24 Stanley Cups. So, you know, but I think the biggest thing, Michelle, is that they lost their, their key players. Um, Carey Price has not played a game this year. Jake Allen, of course, the former Blue, has been hurt. He is not in the lineup right now. Um, Shea Weber, their best defenseman, Ha- has been gone all year. He's most likely going to retire. And, you know, I was told that Corey Perry, who's now in Tampa Bay, a guy that won a cup in Anaheim, I was told by certain people that he really was the almost unofficial captain of that team last year and was a huge leader. So, And they also lost Philip Deneau, their number two center, who uh, is now in Los Angeles. So you, you lose that many key players, and, you know, you have injuries on top of that. Um, But it's still surprising to go from Stanley Cup finalist to last in the league by a mile.
3: And it seemed for years, John, that Mark Bergevin was on the hot seat. They fired their GM. They fired their coach now. And like you say, this is 50 games after being in the Stanley Cup finals. But it it seemed to me like for a couple of years leading up to the struggles of this year, they were almost looking for reasons to get rid of Mark Bergevin.
5: Yeah, he had been there a long time, Randy, and quite honestly, I I just sort of speculate in my mind that had they lost in the first round last year and they were behind in that series to Toronto, three games to one, and they came back and won in seven, had they lost that series, I suspect that Bergerman probably would have been fired at that point, but obviously they didn't lose, and they they go to the final and lose in five games, so you know, he comes back this year, but it, it just didn't work, and as I said, they lost too many of their key pieces, but uh, that that's a precipitous drop to go from uh, finalist to to where they are now with eight wins.
0: Well, John, now that the team is mostly healthy, Craig Berube has been mixing and matching with the line construction. Is there a particular line combo that you've seen Chief put out there that you really like?
5: Well, as I said a bit earlier, the Thomas Tarasenko and Buchnevich line has been has been really good in the last couple of games, and and Tarasenko in particular is playing his best hockey of the year. And, you know, you like that line because Robert Thomas is such an elite passer and Tarasenko is such a great goal scorer. And Buchnevich is sort of a, of a mix between. He You know, he's a smart player, as we know. He can pass the puck, but he also has a very good shot. I'd like to see him shoot the puck more. I think the coaches would as well. So you, you throw those two guys together, and and both Buchnevich and Tarasenko are big guys, and they can control the corners and Um, get the cycle going and things like that. So, you know, Robert Thomas um, is back to playing where he was. He was battling some injuries this year and COVID and things like that. Um, But right now he's playing his best hockey. So I think as far as what line is, is the one to watch tonight, I would say that's the line because they've been great the last two games.
3: John Villajuso appears to be the guy for the Blues right now, and he's going to have his struggles as well. But I'm interested to see how, over the course of the next 10, 12 games, how how they split the time for these two goalies. What would your ideal situation be?
5: Well, that's a tough question for me, Randy, because the Blues don't have a lot of back-to-back games here in the next couple of weeks. So there's not... Um, an urgency to play both goaltenders, if you will. So I don't know what they're going to do tonight. Um, It's a tough situation, you know, because obviously you want to get Jordan Binnington playing well again, and he hasn't played well in his last three starts, as we know. Um, But I think short term, at least for now, and and Randy, as we know, everything in sports is temporary, right? Mm -hmm. Individually and team-wise, nothing is locked in stone. So, you know, right now you'd have to say they're going to give Huso the ball and see how how far he can run with it. But, uh, you know, Binnington will find his game. He's he's too much of a competitor and too good a goaltender not to find his game. Uh, But as I said, they don't have a lot of back-to-backs here in the next couple of weeks. Now, they do in March and April. They have a ton of games and a lot of back-to-backs. So I'm not really sure exactly what they're thinking as far as, the goaltending rotation, but I would suspect that Billy will get the majority of the starts here at least in the next couple of weeks.
3: And John Kelly, one more thing before we let you go, and everybody loves transactions. We, we love transactions more than action, but it's going to be hard for this Blues club to make a move with the salary cap constraints that they're dealing with right now. If the Blues were to go into the playoffs with their current group of players, how would you feel?
5: I I like their team. You know, I I still think they need a left defenseman, Randy. I think that's the one area right now where um, they could get better and they could get deeper. I mean, you know, going back to the final um, in the, in the run in 19, the blues needed, you know, they need seven, eight defensemen to get through that. So, you know, right now you have um, Scandella um, banged up a little bit and and then you have to turn to Jake Wallman who, who played better. I thought in the last game, but he's a young player. So, You know, if you go into the playoffs, Randy, with this group, not to say that they couldn't do well and perhaps win some rounds, but if you get injuries, I think you're exposed. So that's why I think, number one, I think you need to be a little better on on the left side and also perhaps a little bit deeper.
3: So maybe keep an eye on Ben Sherrod of Montreal tonight?
5: I would like to get Ben Sherrod. I really would. (laughs) Um, Although he's not playing, he's hurt. Okay,
3: I um, didn't realize that.
5: Yeah, so he he's a guy that I know is out there, and he will be traded. He's a UFA, um, but a lot of teams would probably like to have Ben Sherrod, Randy.
3: Absolutely. J.K., always good to talk to you. Thanks so much for the time. We do appreciate it. Okay, thank you. See you later. That is the Voice of the Blues, John Kelly on Bally Sports, and you can see them tonight, 6 o'clock, with a 5.30 pregame on Bally Sports. We have our pregame at 5 o'clock, and then Curbs and Joey with the call at 6. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, the fight on 101 ESPN.
2: We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers On 101 ESPN Back to Carriker and Smallman Coming to you live from the Car Shield studio This is 101 ESPN Welcome to the fight On Carriker and Smallman In the red corner Average Joe Listener Disputed king of morning drive, please welcome Randy Carriker. It's
0: 834 in St. Louis. That time check is brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler, which means it's time for the fight. Randy's challenger this morning is Zach, who is with us here on 101 ESPN. Good morning, Zach. How are you feeling today?
9: I'm all right, Michelle. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing good, things, other than this weather, which is the pits.
9: Yeah, I mean, yesterday was beautiful, and now it's all coming downhill.
0: Welcome to St. Louis, right? (laughs) All right, Zach, are you ready to take on Randy? Yeah, we'll see how it goes. All right, well, good luck to you, Zach. Question number one. Which team did the Blues play in their first two Stanley Cup final appearances? Was it the Toronto Maple Leafs, the Boston Bruins, or the Montreal Canadiens?
1: Oh, gosh. Oh, the Blues are
7: Oh, man. We'll go Montreal. Who is the Blues career leader in penalty minutes? Was it Brian Sutter, Bob Gassoff, or Kelly Chase? Oh, uh, gosh. Bob Gasoff.
0: Question number three, Zach. Who did St. Louis University play in their last NCAA tournament appearance? Was it Virginia Tech, Louisville, or North Carolina State?
4: Oh, man. Oh, I watched the game. <laughs> oh. Virginia, Virginia, Virginia. Can you, you
0: for Zach, you're a little muffled. Uh, can you speak into the phone a little more? Yeah, sorry. Thank, no, you got uh, it. Just wanted to make sure uh, everybody can hear you.
4: I'm going to go Virginia Tech. Final answer? Yeah, okay. we'll go with them.
7: And what pitcher did Mark McGuire hit his then-record 70th home run off of? Was it Steve Traxel, Carl Pavano, or LeVon Hernandez? Gosh.
9: What? Traxwell was 62, I thought. Um, it
0: was Hernandez, and who was this third? Uh, Carl Pavano. No-name guy, so we'll go with him. Which one? Uh, Pavano. Cool. Just wanted to make sure. All right. Yep. Checking in our score. Waving in Randy. Zach, give me a confidence check. How you feeling, bud? <laughs> Not great. Well, you should feel pretty, pretty good. Can't tell you I how you did, that. but... That confidence meter should skyrocket. That's all i got to say. Randy, please, as you get your headset on, say good morning to Zach.
3: Zach, good morning. How you doing? I'm doing well, Randy. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Of course. Thanks for having me.
0: Are you ready, Mr. Carriker? I'm ready. Question number one. Which team did the Blues play in their first two Stanley Cup final appearances?
7: That would have been the Montreal Canadiens, I believe. Who is the Blues career, career leader in penalty minutes?
3: Blues career leader in penalty minutes, I think, it's still Brian Sutter. I'm going to go with uh, Sudsy there.
0: Oh, Sudsy. Question number three, Randy, which team did St. Louis University play in their last NCAA tournament appearance?
3: Okay, this would have been like two years ago. And... Um, I'm going to do the lifeline just because I don't remember right off the top of my head.
0: Was it Virginia Tech, Louisville, or North Carolina State?
3: Okay. Uh, They, I believe, played all of these. I think, though, in that first round, I don't think it was Patino and Louisville at the time, or post-Patino and Louisville. Um, I'm going to go
7: NC State. And what pitcher did Mark McGuire hit his then-record 70th home run off of? Carl Pavano, the American Idol.
0: All right. Zach versus Randy. One person got all four correct. Who was it? Matt, ring the bell.
2: The winner and new champion of the fight, Average Joe Listener.
0: Hot dog. Hot dog indeed, Zach. Congratulations. You got all four correct today. I told you that confidence meter should skyrocket. Randy, you got two. Good job. Mm. Two. But yeah,
10: that's not very good.
0: Zach is the champ today. All right, let's run through our answers. Who did the which team did the Blues play in their first two Stanley Cup final appearances? It was in fact the Montreal Canadiens. Bob Gasoff is the Blues career leader career leader in penalty minutes. Slew played Virginia Tech in their last NCAA tournament appearance. And it was Carl Pavano. He was the pitcher that Mark McGuire hit his then-record 70th home run off of. Zach, congratulations on your victory. You'll be back tomorrow to challenge your title. So we'll talk to you then.
4: Perfect. Thank you. Y'all have a great day. You got it. Thank you very much.
3: Great job. How you so, feeling, Randy? I'm fine.
0: Good. Good. So
3: I, I think I can handle this. It's I, I usually... Do pretty well. I think I th- so. I think my winning percentage is okay.
0: Yes, it is. It's pretty good. <laughs> pretty good indeed.
3: Uh, that's Michelle. I'm Randy, and this is 101 ESPN. Coming up, Ken Rosenthal has some of the top priorities for Major League Baseball Players Association and what they want to accomplish during this lockout. We'll talk a little bit about that and more on whether or not Cardinal Nation is dead on 101 ESPN.
2: We're right back to the character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
3: Good to have you with us on 101 ESPN. We're going to talk a little bit of baseball in just a moment. But before that...
0: Justice for Randy. Hashtag? Hashtag justice for Randy. Let's get oh. that trending. Hold on. Let me grab... This sheet of paper that I just recycled. I saw I took your that's, that's the
7: correctly edited one now, okay. too. Okay.
0: So we're getting such a great response for this on the text line that we need to bring it up. Question number two on the fight today was Who is the Blues' career leader in penalty minutes? Randy, said Brian Sutter. The correct answer on the sheet said Bob Gasoff. Randy, in fact, was correct, which would have made the fight a 3 3 tie. So. We gave Zach the victory because he's no longer with us. But in fact, it should have been a tie going to the tiebreaker round. Justice for Randy. Hashtag justice for Randy. So
3: we'll go. uh, Tie goes to the listener on this one. We'll go old rules. That's fair. And Zach will be back tomorrow.
0: With a, a Randy looking for some vengeance.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Michelle, there's a great piece at The Athletic by Ken Rosenthal. And everything he does is great. But... One of the questions that he asks is, uh, what are the priorities for the Major League Baseball Players Association? And one of the complaints that I've had with the Players Association is that they're Completely, 100% against the idea of a floor. And Rosenthal writes, the establishment of a soft payroll floor would force owners of low-revenue teams to spend more money, addressing one of the union's long-standing concerns. The union does not advocate a hard floor, knowing it would give the owners an opening for a hard cap. A soft floor would include a penalty mechanism, similar to the one that the league employs in the luxury system. Teams that fell below certain thresholds would be penalized, just like teams that exceed certain thresholds at the top he said it makes sense but such a floor is no longer even under consideration when the owners proposed a hundred million dollar minimum floor in their first proposal covering core economics last August they tied it to a lowering of the first luxury tax threshold to 180 million at a higher penalty rate for teams that exceeded it than exists today now 180 million might be a little bit low but why players would be against a $100 million salary floor when there are so few teams that get to the $200 million payroll? Mm -hmm. It seems to me that the primary concern, and this could easily be driven by Scott Boris, is the highest paid players, the Max Scherzers of the world, the Fernando Tatisas, Manny Machados, Bryce Harper, all those, Nolan Arnato all those guys are making $30, $35 million a year that are paid by the Yankees, Red Sox, and Dodgers. That's the real, that's the only concern. They're sacrificing the financial, not viability, but the, the financial windfall of many so that there can be a ridiculous windfall for few.
0: Isn't that... A bigger issue, though, that Scott Boris could potentially have this much power in these negotiations, that one person, because of his clientele, could be puppeteering the way that this is yep. going down?
3: It's troubling, yeah.
0: That that shouldn't even be a consideration. They, they shouldn't even give him a voice.
3: Another part of this, though, is that the four guys that are on the executive council for the players are Marcus Simeon, who just signed a ridiculous new contract mm-hmm. with the Rangers, Uh, near 200 million dollars. Max Scherzer's on that negotiating group. Francisco Lindor is on that negotiating group. He just signed for more than $300 million. And Andrew Miller, who has made tons of money in his career. The middle-class player isn't represented by the Players Association for whatever reason. So you you can understand why Scherzer and Lindor and Simeon would say, "Um, we don't want anything to do with our end of the spectrum, the higher end being affected, and we really don't care about the players that are making the minimum. 60% of the players in Major League Baseball make the minimum. And... Peter Gammon's had the report that 33 players make 51% of what players make.
0: Which is ridiculous. And I understand if you're the players that you want some of the biggest names in your sports, the the guys who carry a lot of weight in discussions, to be the ones representing you in these Mm -hmm. talks. But they're not going to have the same level of passion and advocacy for the people who actually need it because they're not affected by a lot of these issues. So it is a tricky catch-22 with them because while you do want that that weight behind the star power of some of these guys, Mm -hmm. they're saying they're going to represent you and the collective players, but their issues are not the same.
3: Exactly. And and you have 800 players, and you have essentially 50 maybe tops that are affected by what's being discussed in this room.
0: Sure, and that's a problem. And I think that that's one of the reasons why the owners are probably in more of a power position.
3: (laughs) Yeah, and if we can break this down you look at it from a team standpoint we're talking about players that are affected last year there were three teams that were affected would have been affected by a 200 million dollar uh structure where there would have been a penalty the the luxury tax only one team the dodgers was affected by the luxury tax of 212 million dollars the Yankees paid $205 million. The Mets paid $201 million last year. In 2020, that was the pandemic year, so that was different. But pre-pandemic, you had, again, three teams that were over $200 million. Uh, actually, only two that would have been before they were prorated, the Yankees and the Dodgers. So essentially, on a year-to-year basis, you have two, maybe three franchises that would be affected by a $200 million payroll threshold. The year before that, Red Sox, yet. Yankees, Cubs and Dodgers. Cubs aren't going to they aren't going to be in those waters, swim in those waters anymore. Go back to 2018 teams that would have been affected by a 200 million dollar luxury tax would have been. Let me go back to it uh, again. Red Sox, Yankees, Dodgers. So you don't have many teams that would even be affected by a 200 million dollar luxury tax. And I think it's really disingenuous on the part of the union to say, nope, we're completely against the floor.
0: Because they want to make every dollar that they can possibly make for
3: the highest for price the highest. players, but they're at but they're the looking at the expense of the lower paid players.
0: Correct. But they're looking at it as how can we extract the most money from the owners? And it, whether it's a smaller group of players that ends up with the, the majority of that pot, it's still more money for them.
3: Right. Now, another thing that Rhett Rosenthal wrote about was the union proposal for players to reach the open market after five years instead of six if they had reached the age 30 and a half. The union withdrew that that request for age based free agency in January. So they really aren't concerned mm-hmm. about those players that are right around the age of 30 and especially the average player if you become a free agent at the age of 30 and a half rather than 31 and a half that can make a huge difference in the way teams view you.
0: It really can. And it just struck me, Randy, how annoyed I am that we're even having this conversation right now. We should not even have to be talking about the business side of baseball. This is not something, as we sit here on February 17th, that we should be concerning ourselves with. This is something that they should have gotten ironed out months ago, and we should be talking about pitchers and catchers and spring training. The fact that this is what they've reduced us to talk about is really a poor look on their sport.
3: It is. It's it's, it's awful. It's so
0: annoying because the average fan is already having a waning Uh, interest loss in baseball, and now this is the conversation point when we're talking about the Super Bowl, about the Rams running it back. We're talking about the Lakers and AD. There's all of these other – the Blues. There's all of these other really actually interesting things in sports that have to do with game outcomes, and we're talking about business stuff. People go to sports to get away from conversations like this.
3: And the essence of unions, I'm sure that pretty much everybody driving around that has been in or is in a union – is to set it up as a one-for-all, all-for-one proposition. Do I expect sports to do that? No. Right. But if you work for the United Auto Workers, if you have 18 years on the job, the guy next to you with 18 years on the job, making the same amount. If you have four years on the job, you have the exact same benefits, the exact same pay that a guy with four years has. This isn't an all-for-one Proposition. This is an all for the top fifty guys proposition,
0: which is not going to be beneficial. But I also—that's what
3: we're fighting over. That's why we're not playing.
0: And, and you know what? There's no quicker way to drive away your consumer than fighting over money.
3: No doubt. Which Especially is exactly when what they're doing when it's billionaires versus millionaires.
0: The average baseball fan cannot identify with the arguments that are happening right now they're looking at it exactly the way you just said it millionaires versus billionaires and that's going to leave a very poor taste in a lot of people's mouths
3: and by the way ownership isn't absolved of blame here by any stretch of the imagination they're the ones that have locked the players out they're the ones that appear to be scratching for every penny in a 12 to 15 billion dollar industry they they make more money than they could ever hope to spend but they the owners appear to just want to stick it to the players
0: which is so gross when you think about it both parties should have come to the table leading up to december 1st and said hey we understand what the state of baseball is we both want to make it work for one another let's come to the table with the spirit of compromise and make it work for the vitality of our sport as a whole i'll give a little bit you give a little bit but in the end we're all going to be making money it's all going to be beneficial and instead it's it's scratching and clawing, as you said. It's very vindictive. There's a lot of hatred. Uh, the undertones of this are just really sketchy. Well, and if, if and if I'm somebody, Randy, that is being asked to spend a minimum of a hundred, maybe two hundred dollars to go to a ball game, this is not something I want to hear about. I was
3: just going to make that point. You have billionaires battling with millionaires about the amount of money they're making from people that average about $40,000 a year income who do have to save up to take their family a four to a game. And I guarantee you that in these negotiations, the five that they've had in the two and a half months that they've had to negotiate, I guarantee you that the customer, the fan, has not been up, brought up one single time.
0: Which is stupid when you're running a business because your customer is what allows you to do what you do. And if your customer leaves, guess what leaves too? The money.
3: Right. And the customers already, the number of customers is receding. And I can't imagine that it's going to get any better after a situation like this.
0: It's just very, very tone deaf.
3: Yep. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up. We've asked the question all morning, is Cardinal Nation dead? The inability to sell out NLCS games a couple of years ago, the inability to sell out a single game last year, the fact that at the end of a 17-game winning streak with a recession in the amount of COVID cases, uh, and the fact that we did have full capacity, they drew 35,000 for their 17th consecutive win, which clinched a playoff spot. Uh, are, is the passion of the Cardinal fan are, are the BFIB not there anymore? That's next on 101 ESPN
2: We're right back to the character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN Opinions matter. Time now for today's Big Thing with character and Smallman on 101 ESPN
3: Nine o'clock in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, Matt Rocchio, with you, and Jeremy Rutherford is going to join us in about fifteen minutes. But we've been asking you if Cardinal Nation is dead. A lot of response on
6: the mic drop line. I'm Alex, like many Cardinals fans, have been a diehard my whole life. Try to watch every single game. Try to get down to the stadium, you know, at least ten to fifteen times a year. And after twenty twenty, with the COVID dispute and MLB completely screwing up the chance of being the first sport back on July 4th weekend. Put a bad taste in my mouth, but I got over it, and I watched 2020. I watched all of last year with hope that they would have learned from that lesson stupidly and figured things out so that we could start on time. And here we are already delaying pitchers and catchers. Inevitably, spring training is going to be delayed. We're just talking about it. The season could be a third delayed on take it or leave it. And I'm thinking, okay, if the season is delayed, or even if it starts on time, Do I care? And I can honestly say I don't. I've latched on to other things. I have other priorities. Things that are honestly more important and more vital for myself and my family that are going to take time. I'm not going to be willing to sacrifice them anymore for baseball.
0: That's the thing. We have options now. Mm -hmm. We really do. And Randy, as we were listening to that, something popped up in my head. I wonder if what happened with the Rams in St. Louis – has shifted the way we think about how important sports is to our day-to-day lives here in St. Louis because after the Rams left I think we very much are like if this is a an organization and I'm not talking about the Cardinals I'm talking about baseball as a whole that isn't going to respect us and mm-hmm. to us then we're not going to reciprocate and if baseball is going to continue to delay and not care about the fans here in St. Louis we've already dealt with that and now we're a, a city without an NFL team and even though we miss it we're fine we have found other things to enjoy and so I feel like there's a lot of people looking yeah. at baseball as a whole and saying if you guys are going to fight over about money and not care about me the fan then I'm not going to give you my money and care about you the product
3: and like Alex said they gave us the opportunity to find options during the summer of 2020 when they decided they only wanted to play 60 games and they could have played a hundred and they could have entertained us during that Time during the pandemic, and they didn't, and we found other ways to mm-hmm. entertain ourselves and Hello, entertain Tiger our families. King. Absolutely, but last dance. People going during the summer months. People going for walks in the park at seven at night. Mm-hmm. People going out and playing late golf. People going for bike rides. Families out on their back porch. Families going out in the pool. You can't get a pool until twenty twenty four, right? P- people are. Like you said, th- they have found options, and that started for us when we found options on Sundays mm-hmm. after 2015 and starting in 2016, and now we can find options all summer long. Let's hear from Chris. Hey, guys. It's kind of old Chris. You know, I'll listen and consume the game. Um, you know, I'll watch it or listen to it
5: every the same way I have for 30 years. I don't go to the games as much because St. Louis – the city of St. Louis makes me uncomfortable coming out of there at 10 or 11 at night. Um, and so I don't,
7: I, that's why I don't go down there much.
3: And I don't know how that problem gets solved. People that are a lot smarter and more savvy than me have to figure out how to solve the crime problem.
0: But Chris is not alone. Not in, at all. in that thinking. We in fact, he's probably
3: here. with he's probably in the majority.
0: I think there's a ton of people, especially, I mean, everyone wants to feel safe, but especially if you're bringing your children to that environment, you don't want to feel afraid walking to your car at night if you have your kids with you.
3: You were telling us off the air one time about your friends that live in the apartments downtown.
0: Oh, yeah. There was a a story someone told me once that they have a a text chain. I have friends that live in one specific building downtown, and they have a text chain going on in the summertime, and they say fireworks or gunshots.
3: That's troubling when you when that's a text chain that you're just kind of going back and forth with.
0: and they're they were obviously just trying to make light of a very scary situation yeah. but it is something that they lay in bed at night and hear gunshots downtown i've
7: been playing that since the late 90s <laughs> really that's an old that's an old school game in the city <laughs> there's uh, another text uh,
3: or another mic drop from drew
8: i know a lot of those things come into uh play with many people um outside of like covid and whatnot but I know for me and my wife and for a lot of um friends of ours uh we've been married for 15 years and last year was the first full baseball season since we've been married that we didn't go to a cardinals game and it was only because of covid we're not like uh covid whatever we're not so fearful of covid uh we have had it before but it was just the thought of I don't know going around there. We have plus we have four children and trying to be responsible. I'm saying, hey, you know what? We've got a nice 70 inch 4K TV. Let's take our chance to sit at home, be comfortable and we'll enjoy our fantastic team win, lose or draw. And we'll do it that way until uh, hopefully this pandemic stuff slows down.
3: Drew thank you very much and a similar text Michelle from the 314 I'm a lifer I will go to free ticket games now if offered in different ways but by the time I leave a Cardinals game between parking food beverages I drop 150 bucks I can do that from home and put that money somewhere else
0: Yeah it is very expensive to go to a game and the Cardinals do a great job of trying to offer lower ticket prices actually to get through the turnstiles can be affordable it's everything else it's parking it's snacks it's beer uh, You know, if you have your kids and they want a jersey or a hat, it's all of those things that add up. And I I was talking to you off air, Randy, I wonder if more people felt comfortable using MetroLink, if that would change their thought Mm -hmm. process about going to a game, because it's minimum 20 bucks to park, minimum, and then you're going to have to likely sit in traffic after a game, and how great would it be if you you weren't fearful of just hopping on the train and going to and from your stop? But I know a lot of people wouldn't even consider using MetroLink.
3: And by the way, I've used MetroLink many times to go from... I, I park in Clayton and go downtown. More for Blues games than Cardinal games. But you do have the the power of the mass of people when you have a, a sporting event going downtown. It's it's packed with sports fans. I would think that the Metrolink could be much more dangerous if you're going when there's not a sporting event. But you do have... A, a large group of Cardinal fans that are going to and from, which causes you to not have to pay for parking, which is a big deal.
0: And when you know you were dealing with a pandemic where a lot of people might have lost their jobs or people were more cognizant than ever about their financial situations or maybe you took that money and you were staying at home so you made renovations to your house and the money whatever it may be a lot of our financial concerns and places where we put our money shifted during that time and you're looking at a a game where you might not be that excited about the team or you might not be excited about the style of play and you're going to spend a couple hundred bucks to go. I mean, that's a decision that yeah. you have to make as a family.
3: Dylan has another mic drop for us here on 101 ESPN.
9: I think this is totally just a situational thing with the Cardinals. The team has been hovering around 500 for the past five seasons or so, and they're not at the where they have been with 100-win seasons. And not to mention we're in a pandemic where you get 40,000 people into a stadium at one place at one time. I think once the Cardinals go back to their full selves, which I think they are very close to doing, and the pandemic slows down, then we'll see Cardinal Nation back in full swing.
3: I hope that's the case. I hope that the Cardinals can get people back. And if there is an organization that's capable of diagnosing problems and fixing problems, it's the Cardinals. They've done it before, but they aren't being helped at all by the industry, by baseball.
0: And I understand what everyone is saying about the pandemic, and that is a contributing factor for a lot of people. But that doesn't explain to me twenty nineteen NLCS not having a sellout. That's mm-hmm. unheard of. I think a lot of these attendance issues and the way people feel about baseball and giving their money to baseball predated the pandemic.
3: Yeah, that's good point. It's uh, there are some issues. I don't. I don't know if any of them are easily fixable, but. Uh, Think of all the things we've heard. We've, we've heard cost. We've heard pandemic. We've heard security downtown. There are so many things. And obviously, the work stoppage right now. Yeah. There are so many things that go into this. You got to take them point by point and find a way to fix them and then convince the people that you're targeting that they are fixed.
0: But if you're Bill DeWitt and you're listening to this, and shout out to Bill if you're listening, but think but think about that as you just said we have to take this point by point security downtown that's that's an insurmountable issue. People have been trying to fix that for a long time. The The style of play, that's not something that, mm-hmm. if you're the Cardinals, you can fix. A boring product is not something that you can necessarily fix. A work stoppage, you're, you're working on that. A pandemic, you can't necessarily do anything about that. You can entice people to come down. There's just all of these factors that if you're the Cardinals, you really have no control over. You can put mm-hmm. out a, a team that you think is going to contend. You can try to lower prices, but a lot of this stuff Is outside of their control. Let
3: me give you one more perspective here from the 314. I can speak from my own perspective. The time consumption kids draw from parents is higher than it used to be, even during the summer. Between practices, games, going places, our free time, even on weekdays, is just about gone. I don't have the time or a lot of free income to be going to the stadium. That's Mm -hmm. somebody who has kids. When I was younger, before I had kids, that was part of our recreation, going to a game. Mm -hmm. Now, you're dating and 22 23 24 years old you already don't have interest in baseball and there are other things out there and it's not necessarily playing a video game but if you don't have interest as a 15 or a 16 year old in baseball why are you going to have interest when you're 22, 23 in baseball? And maybe this is just the generational aspect of baseball losing people because the sport isn't compelling to young people anymore.
0: And finding time to go. As as the text said, yep. if a parent is wanting to take their kids to a game, well, the way sports is now, it's all of these dedicated select teams and coaches mm-hmm. and practices, and you have all of these other activities that you're not only taking up the time for your child and your family but your financial resources is much much more difficult to carve out both of those things to get to a game so
3: perhaps my conclusion is this is an unsolvable problem and baseball nationally clearly is a dying sport but maybe cardinal nation is dead
0: i don't know if it's dead but it might be withering on the vine Mm mm-hmm and I think if any fan base in baseball is going to come back with a full bloom, it will be the yeah. St. Louis Cardinals. But I do think that the product has got to be exciting. There's no Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. There's no, no, there's no drama that's going to bring people back. It's going to have to be a team that, that has a lot of flair and flavor and that you truly feel like it's going to contend.
3: I wonder, and here's the way I look at Cardinal Nation, people that are really passionate about the sport. Are the Cardinals going to draw 3.4 million people that are big-time baseball fans anymore. Or if they do draw 3 million people, are a huge percentage of them showing up just because it's a social event?
0: Probably just because it's a social event. And
3: that's if they can get to 3 million. With all the concerns that we've laid out here and that people that are listening have laid out, are you going to be able to get to 3 million anymore?
0: I don't know, but when we spoke to Greg Amsinger about this earlier in the show, he was saying, look at the pandemic. Every team mm-hmm. was affected. Well, guess what? I watched a lot of NFL football this season, and I saw packed stadiums. People were not concerned about a pandemic when it came to the NFL, but that was a product that they wanted to pay money to go see.
3: We're in SEC state. We don't care about that stuff. Are we? Yeah, we're in the SEC.
0: We are in it, but are we an SEC state? Yeah, maybe. How many people live and die by SEC football in the state of Missouri?
3: I'm just saying we're in the SEC.
0: Yes, correct, we are.
3: We don't live and die by Ph- them. But
0: physically, we're here. Mentally and emotionally, I don't know.
3: Yeah. Well, like, off the off the field, we act like it.
0: <laughs> can't disagree with that.
3: <laughs> That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, our Blues Insider from the Athletic, Jeremy Rutherford joins us on 101 ESPN.
2: We're right back to the character and Smallman podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go.
3: Let's go to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line, and one of the great celebrities that we know yes. is Jeremy Rutherford of <laughs> The Athletic. Morning, sir. How you doing?
9: Yeah, n- n- that's not true.
3: <laughs> you yes, guys it doing? is. <laughs> hey, it's great to have you with us. The Blues in Montreal tonight. And let's start with the Canadians because they, at the beginning of the season, were run by a former Blue, Mark Bergevin. His assistant was a former Blue, Scott Mellenby. And a team that went to the Stanley Cup Finals last year has completely blown up their organization during the course of this season.
9: Yeah, they have. And they really needed to. And I know they made that long run uh, last year, you know, Congrats to the team. You know, I think a lot of that had to do with uh, they were playing in that All-Canada division. And then also uh, they had a good goaltender, Carey Price, who, who was playing phenomenally last year for them all the way through that playoff run. And obviously he's out this year. And not only that, but Jake Allen's been out since uh, January. It would have been uh, great to see Jake be able to try to carry that team, but uh, that hasn't been the case. He has a lower body injury. And another St. Louisan, uh, guys, uh Joel Edmondson's been out with a back injury. And you know, sometimes life it uh, just happens in a good way, you know. Obviously, uh, Eddie doesn't want to miss the season, but his dad passed here recently, and and so for him to be able to enjoy that family time with his dad because of that uh, back injury uh, before his passing, just you know, I'm just glad for him for that sake. So uh, tough, tough year for the Canadians.
0: Jerry, you have a great new piece up at The Athletic about Craig Berube and how he's finding productive line combinations. And it really helps when you have a healthy team and the depth that the Blues have. But it just feels like Chief can always find the right combination in order to find production for this team.
9: Yeah, he can, Michelle, and it's a little bit—I don't want to say easier, but it's a little bit easier uh, when you have so much depth. Uh, you look at the analytics, you got the eye test, you, you have—you know—nine or ten guys that can deliver in terms of uh, skill and, and grit. You got passers, you got shooters, so you know he can kind of throw him in a hat a little bit and and pull him out and see which line combinations he's going to go with. But listen, uh, seventeen, eighteen years covering the Blues, I, I never recall a situation where I've written so many stories about, well, this line's really working well. Well, this line's (laughs) really working well. You know, that might happen once or twice a year where you put a line together and and it just gels. But uh, especially with that line the other night, that was a treat to watch.
0: And it also says a lot, JR, about the mentality of this team that any guy is willing to assume any role at any time.
9: Yeah, it it is. And and that's the key to all of it. It really is. You know, Vladimir Tarasenko playing third-line minutes earlier in the season. Now you have David Perron doing that. Brandon Saad comes in. on a long-term contract as a free agent, and he seems like it doesn't care where he plays. He can be up and down the lineup. Uh, You've seen a situation where Robert Thomas is getting – more crucial minutes, uh, you know, high-profile minutes than Ryan O'Reilly. But you're never going to hear anything out of Ryan O'Reilly. So that's the key to a team we saw it in 2019 with Alexander Steen. Um, So it's just a culture that they've created, and these guys are carrying it on.
3: Jr. speaking of Thomas, of course, he missed most of December. And Craig Ruby was on the fast lane yesterday, and they asked him what he's seen from Thomas in the last month and a half.
4: Well, everything. I think he's been a – Very good, well-rounded player for us. I haven't seen too many nights where he's not engaged in all assets of the all areas of the game. You know, last night was an example. I think he had nine shot attempts, hit the post twice. You know, he could have easily had a hat trick. I thought his shooting is starting to come now. I think he's understanding the importance of shooting the puck, not only just making plays. So when when you're a threat to shoot and score and make plays, you know, that's going to open up a lot more for you, in my opinion. Um, and just like, a, you know, a lot like he he's checking. Um, his play without the puck has been really good. His puck pressure when he doesn't have the puck is really good. So that's key.
3: It is interesting how, as opposed to October and November, when he was a passer and there were questions about his 200-foot game, questions about his shooting, now he has become a much more well-rounded player.
9: Yeah, he really has. And I tweeted it the other night, guys. Uh, when Tarasenko gave Robert Thomas that pass, did, did you guys expect Thomas to give it back to Yeah, Tarasenko? totally, I, yep. I, I, I kind of half did Um you know, we don't need to repeat the history about him needing to, uh, to to shoot more in terms of, you know, we've asked him the question, why don't you shoot more? And, and he says, oh, you know, my shot's better. I worked on it, so I'm going to do it this year. And then he doesn't go out and do it. But he has to. He has to, especially with his uh, elite passing level, teams are going to know that, that he's going to be passing it nine times out of ten. So he's got to shoot it. Obviously, that was a goal that uh, the other night, you know, he had to shoot that puck. But we have to see that more often. And to be honest with Robert Thomas, You know, one game, two games, I don't think that's going to convince me that that he gets it and that he's going to start bringing that element to his game. I think you need to see it for long stretches. So let's see if he continues to go down that road. But the coach, as you mentioned there, Craig Bruby is emphasizing it to him. So, you know, we'll see if if that can take. But an elite passer, he's got to bring that other side to his game.
3: And he compared... Thomas to Adam Oates, and Berube played with Adam Oates in Washington. Remember here, Adam Oates was strictly a disher, and it worked because he had Brett Hull. But once he got elsewhere, when people knew he wasn't going to shoot, Oates became really easy to defend if he didn't have a Hull-type finisher on the wing. And that's what Thomas needs to do, and he appears to be doing, is setting it up so that they have to defend him shooting the puck.
9: Yeah, definitely. And and with Robert Thomas, you never know when the passes are coming and where they're going. You know, the other night we saw the, the between the legs uh, back pass was it to Terracinko and and so, you know, he's still going to catch people off guard with that passing, but they can tighten their gaps on on him and and, and know that uh, you know, if if he's going to dish it, they've got guys to cover those guys that he's going to dish it to. So I just think it makes it too predictable if they know he's going to pass all the time and that's why he's got to add that.
0: JR, uh, I've been gone for a few weeks, so I'm sure you've touched on this a lot, but what are you hearing internally about the concerns with Jordan Bennington?
9: You know, I think it's just the the consistency, and they need to to give him some time to find his game, Michelle. And and I think that while you can't really practice and see NHL shots on a daily basis during that 11-day break, they were hoping that that was kind of a reset. And Craig Bruby told us that before they went on that 11-day break, uh, they said, you know, Jordan, you're going to be the guy against New Jersey. And I think that was a quote-unquote, like, let's get right game. Let's let's feel it. Let's make some big saves. Let's look like yourself again and, and, and come out with a win and then start feeling good about yourself. But that did not happen against uh, New Jersey. You know, they took the loss, and he had a couple goals that, that he probably needs back. And, and so now you look at the situation, and we'll find out in about an hour or so who's the starting goaltender. You know, I'm just guessing here that – you know, it makes sense for Jordan Bennington. I mean, you're mm-hmm. talking about a team team Montreal that, uh, you know, scores the fewest goals in the league, gives up the most. They've lost 10 in a row, oh eight and 2 in their last 10. And it's a situation where this should be a get-right game. Like, if you put Jordan Bennington in tonight and he can't help you get the win, I'm not saying stand on his head and do everything, but if he can't help you do it, then, you know, where is this going? You just don't know. So, you, you know, you're probably not going to play him against Toronto uh, Saturday. That's a Ville game. And then you got Philadelphia. That's a pretty long wait for Jordan Bennington if you're waiting to Philadelphia. So to me, today makes sense. And today, tonight is, is when you have to see Uh, him start to take some of those steps.
3: Finally, Jeremy Rutherford, I was thinking yesterday about how dominant the Colorado Avalanche are and wondering, can anybody beat them in the playoffs? And then I thought back a few years ago to that dominant Tampa Bay team that set records during the regular season, and they go out and get swept in the first round of the playoffs. So while we're sitting here in St. Louis saying, man, I don't know how we beat Colorado in the playoffs, number one, you got to get to a series where you would play Colorado. But the fact of the matter is, Colorado – Every team is vulnerable in the playoffs. We've seen it so many times, and it's just a different animal, isn't it? So as great as they are, I'm not saying they're going to lose, but nobody is unbeatable.
9: No, they're not. And I watched them last night. Looked pretty good. You know, they beat uh, Vegas uh, 2 to nothing, and Jack Eichel's uh, debut there, and uh, you know, the speed is there. So they might not be the team that they were last year, but I think, you know, record-wise, they're rattling them off. And I think uh, they do have a lot of talent. The one thing is the Blues needed to offset a few areas against uh, against Colorado. Last year, what did we see against the Avalanche? They had all the net front presence. Well, now you look at this uh, Blues team. You know, Brandon Saad comes this way, leaving Colorado, and he's given the Blues some of that net front presence. By the way, you know, tying this into Montreal guys, um, I looked it up. The Blues on the opening day of free agency, they, they were offering Mike Hoffman. This is kind of interesting. He decides to go to uh, Montreal on that 4.5 AAV times three years. I remember I traded texts with him that day and I said, hey, what was the difference between Montreal and, and, and the Blues? And he said, money, more money in Montreal. So he goes there. The next day, the Blues signed Brandon Sod hmm. 4.5 times five. So perhaps. Uh, that Hoffman money goes to Sod. You know, it's kind of a juggling act in free agency where, where you're given the money. But, you know, going back to the Colorado uh, matchup is that, you know, Sod gives you some of that, what we saw from him in an avalanche uniform uh, last year. So, uh, you know, the Blues are just going to have to, you know, play well down the stretch, show that depth that they have up front, perhaps add a defenseman in, uh, in the trade uh, d- deadline coming up March 21st, and, and find out what's going on with the goaltending. Is it Bennington? Is it Huso? And if it's Husso you know, then roll with them like they kind of have been here lately. So to me, uh, Randy, no, anybody's beatable. Uh, We see that every single year. And I think the Colorado Avalanche, even in this case, as well as their plan, are beatable.
3: Jr. as always, great stuff, and you are a celebrity in our eyes.
9: Well, I thank you guys, but uh, please text or call and tell my wife that. (laughs) (laughs) We'll do our best. Have a great day. All right, thanks a lot, guys. You too.
3: Thank you. That's Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues Insider from The Athletic here on 101 ESPN. Next up, you're killing me, Smalls.
2: We're right back to the character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's totally killing Smalls right now?
10: You're killing me, Smalls. You're
2: killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN
3: couple of quick things before we get to Michelle. Number one, the juiced-up Russian figure skater, Camila <laughs> Valieva, stumbled and fell through her performance, and she finished in fourth.
0: Juiced up, I'm sorry, I wasn't expecting the juiced up Russian figures. Well, she scooter. totally was, right? <laughs> Correct, but I just did not cool. expect I mean, that to be Hulk what you smashed said. smashed
7: right into the ice, didn't she?
3: <laughs> exactly. And then the other thing is, uh, we she so she finished fourth, so that's a good thing that she, uh, she used the roids. 15-year-old, trying to be like a 28-year-old. And uh, she fell like three or four times during her long form, and she finished in fourth place. So they were able to have, apparently, a medal ceremony.
0: Yes, and I saw her comments about how this entire ordeal had taken such a toll on her mentally and emotionally. And it has to be hard when you are supposed to go out there and perform when you have all of this stuff circulating around you. Yes, it's self-inflicted, but it still has to be hard to go out there and focus on the task at hand.
3: She is no Barry Bonds, <laughs> clearly. And one other note: we have a very caring, and uh, generous, and kind general manager in John kioski who sent out an email this morning that said. Ice and snow, according to the weather forecast, will be starting around noon today. You may want to play it safe and work from home or work in the office just half a day in the morning. The on-air folks, same as usual, feel free to use one of the area hotels and expense it. Mm-hmm. No, Randy, not the Ritz.
0: You no. got to
7: throw that
3: out for me. Why no, does he Randy. have to do that for me?
0: Because didn't you ask about the Ritz the last time? Uh, yeah. I,
3: so he said, uh, feel free to use area hotels and put it on an expense report. We're in Creve Corps. Yeah. And... Our friend Chris Bauman once convinced a judge that the new Riverfront Stadium was going to be adjacent to the Dome. So I said, Is the Ritz an area hotel?
0: Technically, it is an area <laughs> hotel. Yeah. And I don't think the email said anything about price stipulations. It just said seek out an area hotel, correct?
3: Basically, yeah.
0: So you're doing what was asked of you. <laughs> I thought so. It sounds like you're... Uh, i was op-
3: soundly <laughs> rejected.
0: <laughs> but I respect you for trying. Thanks.
3: And then I said, would a famished employee be allowed to go across the street to the Capitol, tr- to trudge to the Capitol
7: Grill?
0: <laughs> you'd have to walk there because conditions <laughs> yeah. are bad. You can't bad take a vehicle. Yeah. yeah.
7: No, that wasn't... you got to make it sound as Dickensian as possible with trudge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: I think this sounds like something that should be uh, applied to our entire show staff. You know, we need to make sure we're protected. We have to get up early in the morning. We can't mm-hmm. be driving during any of this stuff.
3: Well, it, the driving isn't an issue.
0: Well, I'm saying the Ritz sounds like a better option.
3: I think so. Yeah. My right
0: kitchen's under-renov. I can't. I don't have water. I can't cook. <laughs> Room service and a robe sounds don't like a great place s- to prep. Don't say this stuff. I'm just telling you. That sounds like a great place to prep. You're killing me, Small. Well, Randy, let's talk a little Rams Super Bowl parade. You remember last year, Tom Brady infamously drank a little bit too much avocado tequila Mm -hmm. during the celebrations. He was throwing the Lombardi trophy off a boat. He was being carried off of the boats. It was a great time. Well, there was some video yesterday of Matthew Stafford drinking a little Don Julio, enjoying himself after the Rams won the Super Bowl. Tom Brady quote tweets it and says, mix in a water mat trust me.
3: (laughs) (laughs) That's great.
0: (laughs) Tom Brady, I don't know how, who he pays to do his socials, but they do a great job. They really do. They really do. And I love that Tom Brady continues to be self-deprecating and poke fun Mm -hmm. at himself. The old Tom Brady would have never done that.
3: Exactly. New England Tom Brady.
7: Brady. Thoughts out to the uh, NFL media reporter who fell off the stage. Well, that was going to be my my next story. (laughs) You're killing
0: me, small. Well, and kind of a sad story, but another video that has made the rounds. Matthew Stafford and his wife, Kelly Stafford, were standing on stage giving ready during the parade after Matthew had given a speech and the Rams reporter leaned down backed up a little bit to take a photo of the two of them and actually fell off the stage. Matthew Stafford watches it happens turns and walks away and his wife Kelly rushes over to see what happens. Well it actually turns out that the woman that fell off the stage suffered a fractured spine and Mm. she broke her cameras which is very expensive equipment during the fall it was like a 10 feet drop which is pretty tough but Uh, She tweeted from the hospital that she's doing okay, but a GoFundMe was actually set up to help pay her medical bills and to replace some of her damaged professional photography gear. They're looking at a $30,000 tab. At least that was the goal in the GoFundMe. You'd think if the Rams knew that this happened that they would take care of it. She
7: works for NFL Media?
0: I believe she's the Rams team photographer.
7: When I went to her Twitter, she said she had NFL, MLB, and NBA okay. added. So I think she might do you know a lot of things around maybe the LA area around the different sports. So you'd okay. feel like there'd be some support from these billion-dollar organizations. You she has some history think with, so
0: yeah, you would think so. But the video is not a great look for Matthew Stafford, who watches a woman fall off the stage, stares at it, and turns and walks away.
3: He plays for the Rams. What do you expect? <laughs>
0: Just saying, Randy.
3: He's he's an employee of Stan Kroenke. I know okay? he
0: was sipping on that Don Julio 42 and was not of sound mind. Yeah. But you would, it, it, it changed that with um, Jalen Hurts, who saw the people fall. And granted, that was right in front of him, too. Mm-hmm. But how he rushed over to help everybody up compared to Matthew Stafford. It's just not a great look.
6: Pretty weak.
10: You're killing me, Smalls.
0: All right, let's talk one more thing from the Rams parade. So Les Snead, as we know, famously loved to trade off picks in order to acquire the pieces that he felt the Rams needed to win the Super Bowl. Clearly worked out for them. And uh, he said, F them picks, right? F Mm -hmm. them picks, don't need them. Well, he wore a shirt of himself yesterday with the phrasing underneath it, underneath it, blank them picks.
4: Hey, here's what I know. The late John Madden said that winning the Super Bowl was the highest of high. So you know what? Our players, our coaches, Stan, his family, every one of us in the organization who support him on that mission, and everyone out there, you know what? We know what that highest high feels like today. So in honor of the shirt, F them picks, we'll use them to go win more Super
6: Bowls
0: to be kind of hard to do that though it worked out congratulations to them yeah. but it's going to be kind of hard to say f them picks moving forward yeah
3: first class and you know what first of all he he did go to college right I, I, Think it was, it was auburn, auburn yeah right
0: yeah loves loves an auburn guy Tavon austin greg robinson we remember shouldn't it be
3: f those picks didn't we learn that in like fifth grade yeah it's I, not if it, it's f them picks kind of sounds uneducated mr sneed
0: sir grammatically you're incorrect yeah so
3: he is not the sharpest pencil in the box all right but he won yeah he did so you got to give him credit for that
0: and what do you think about wearing a shirt of yourself at the parade cool uncool i think it's pretty uncool so normally i I wouldn't so normally i would too it's it would be funnier if if say Matthew Stafford wore that shirt because mm-hmm. he was one of the picks right that would be cooler mm-hmm. if someone else was giving a nod to listening but I also kind of subscribe to the fact that if you win and you're in a championship day parade you can do and wear whatever you want that's your moment to shine so I'm a little conflicted there
3: it was less Sneed. are you really conflicted
0: no I'm mean, really. he's a
3: bad guy too I mean they're they're all scoundrels he's right there at the top of the list
0: oh yeah he knew what was going on yeah but if we're talking hit list he's not in my top five on the Rams? Yeah, no.
3: So he knew. Hey, we we just wanted to have this thing ready to take off in 2015. Yeah, he makes it. He makes it on the on the back end. Mm. It's not
0: my top three. Well, but... well, I guess I'm lumping in Goodell and Groovement. Like I'm, oh, I'm thinking okay, of yeah. all the people on oh, angry at yeah, right? I mean, lower is a, on the list. This is
3: a guy that's saying we don't know what's going to happen in December of 2015 when his wife has already moved to L. A. and put the kids in school out there.
7: He's saying, yeah, we don't know what's going to happen. Come on. Also, conveniently having one of the worst GM, you know, GM records there for a while and not getting fired, and And then, then and then all of a sudden you get to flip the switch. Isn't that interesting? How that happened? Weird. It is
0: weird. You're killing me, Smalls. A little baseball news, Randy. A report coming out saying that the Washington Nationals had offered Juan Soto a very lucrative contract before the lockout. We're talking, standby, 13 years, $350 million that Soto rejected. Here's why, according to him. He said, they made me an offer a few months ago before the lockout. But right now, my agents, Scott Boris, mm-hmm. my agents and I think the best option is to go year by year and wait for free agency. My agent, Scott Boris, has control over the situation, a reminder that he will be eligible for free agency after the 2024 season. Do you think that's something he'll regret?
3: Same agent that turned down $200 million for Chris Bryant, And he's not going to come close to that with this free agent deal so no i don't think that's a smart move on the part of juan soto
0: this total offer from the nats would have been the third highest contract extension in mlb history the only ones higher were mookie betts 12 years 365 and mike trout angels 10 years 360.
7: what were the terms again it's 13 350. 13 350. so that's I mean that's puts him only about it puts him outside the top twenty of AAV. So I wonder if I mean that's that's twenty six million per year. That's that's not that's not the you know that's not top ten AAV you know per year. So I wonder if that's that's got to be the stick point. Three hundred and fifty. It is and it's all guaranteed dollars. And it's all guaranteed. But yeah. I wonder if if that if you know he's saying I can get you know a bigger one off this year and then keep on cashing in when you know the money's when the money's right. I would be more inclined to look at what happened especially with Juan Soto and his
3: medical history. I would be more inclined to look at what happened with uh, Chris Bryant.
0: Yeah, I'm not okay. turning I'm not turning down $350 million, especially when uh, the future of the sport is uh, is up in the air right now with a lockout. I would have definitely signed that deal.
3: Yeah.
10: You're killing me, small. And
0: one more thing, Randy, some sad news. I know that you're heartbroken over this, but word coming out yesterday that Aaron Rodgers and Shailene Woodley have, in fact, called off their engagement. Love is dead.
3: Devastating. Love is dead. It really is. It's. What's the point, right? Why, why do we even bother getting into relationships and investing ourselves emotionally?
0: If they can't make it, who can? Honestly. And mm, ab- nobody. According, according to InTouch Weekly, Shailene said that he put football first, and she just couldn't deal with that. And mm-hmm. I know In Touch Weekly always has the best sources, so just going with that.
3: I would say so. Now, yeah, that's her source. Uh, uh, that's interesting, though, because last offseason, he didn't seem to put football first. Put his research first. Yeah, his research. Maybe he just got tired of her.
0: He put Hawaii first, really. Yeah. But you yeah. know what? Whatever he did in the offseason, it worked because he's the MVP. The MVP. And, and played at an unbelievable level. Yeah, so, he, he was good. So I, I think he was doing enough behind the scenes. But <laughs> anyway, love is dead. Wrap Thanks, up. Michelle.
3: You're welcome. Coming up next, we are going to tell you what's on tap with the Blues in action tonight at Montreal on 101 ESPN.
2: We're right back to the character and Smallman podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
3: Michelle and Randy on 101 ESPN Blues and Canadians tonight. 5 o'clock pregame, 6 o'clock faceoff. Curbs and Joey will have the call. And apparently, Michelle, the weather's going to be bad this afternoon and tonight.
0: It is. So everyone be careful out there. Try to stay home if you can.
3: So uh, we got this text from the 636. Done with Michelle. Go Mm -hmm. back to Illinois and stay. Happily. And Michelle responds, because I tell the truth?
0: Yeah, because this person is very upset, Randy. We were talking about... Um, things that people are interested in and in sports. And you said, Mizzou, you know, we're we're a, an SEC state. We are. We don't care about anything else. We're an SEC state. And I said, are we? Is Missouri an SEC state? And we've done surveys on this. The interest in Mizzou, Mizzou football and SEC football from our listeners is like fifth or sixth on the list. There's not a lot of interest here. And that's not a knock on Mizzou. It's just... It's a new transition. It's hard to get excited about SEC football the way other universities mm-hmm. and fan bases are when it's a way of life there. It just does not translate in Mizzou the way it does other places.
3: And that's the difference. Michelle, you know, and if, if people could see me, if we had cameras in our studio, once a week I'm wearing Mizzou stuff in here. I'm a Mizzou honk. I love Mizzou. Yes, you do. I'm, I'm a fan. I didn't go to Mizzou, but I, I like Mizzou a lot. That being said... If we compare the passion for the school in the states to other SEC states, I don't think that Missouri is ahead of Mississippi or Mississippi State. I don't think Missouri is ahead of Auburn or Alabama or LSU. I don't think Missouri is ahead of Arkansas or Texas A&M. I don't think Missouri is ahead of South Carolina or Tennessee or Georgia. In terms of SEC football and our allegiance to and passion for the SEC football program, I would suggest that Missouri's passion for the s- state school, mm-hmm. for the SEC product that's on the field every weekend, eclipses in the conference only that of Vanderbilt.
0: Probably. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, maybe it's higher during those Gary Pinkle years when the team's really good. Obviously, that changes with a lot of fan bases when you have an exciting product on the field and and superstar players and you're winning and potentially in the conversation for a national championship. But SEC fan bases are unlike anything else in sports. When I got the opportunity to travel and go to different colleges for ESPN, when I worked for Russell and Canal, we went Mm -hmm. on our fall football tour. We went to great places. We went to Florida State. We went to... Um, Wisconsin we went to great football fan bases and when I tell you nothing compares to SEC especially those blue blood LSU Alabama type SEC programs it is the most diehard of the diehards and Mm -hmm. it's no fault of Mizzou is that they just don't compare to that
3: Matt Rocchio attended Mizzou he has the emotional investment in the school and is as a grad different than Michelle different than Randy I want you to weigh in here
7: Yeah, it's 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 thirteen. I mean, it's (laughs) there's it's it's Vanderbilt, and then I mean the fact that we cannot confidently say. And listen, you can make an argument here, but the fact that you cannot confidently as a Mizzou football fan say that this fan base is more passionate about their football team than Kentucky is about their football team. Obviously, basketball is a completely different conversation. Mm -hmm. The fact that you cannot confidently say that and and be and know that it's true is a problem. They should be above a Kentucky, and so just that marker right there tells me that this fan base is level of interest and passion isn't the same way the fact of the matter is mizzou football from the get-go in 2013 because of the pageantry of the sec was always going to be a more natural fit in something like the big 10 but you get the money with the sec you roll on it you try to build on it i think they're doing a good job unfortunately they were doing a much better job when they had two sec east titles and some mm-hmm. and some championship you know appearances under their belt than you know six years of mediocrity and again all due respect basketball
3: they're 14th
0: mm-hmm. Big time. But you know what? I'm reading this book, Randy, about relearning and unthinking. And yesterday I read this passage about how people like to feel right more than they like to be right. And I think this person texting in, they love Mizzou. Mm -hmm. So they want to feel right even though they know they're not right. And- What people can't comprehend is just because you're passionate about something and you're really interested in it doesn't mean that everyone else is. And I think most Mizzou fans have the self-awareness to understand, hey, we're new on this block and we're not going to get to that level for a long time.
3: No, it's it takes years. And I I said this with Texas and Texas right now. It's not a very good football program. But in terms of quality football, Texas literally had a 100-year, literally a 100-year head start on quality football over Mizzou. Yeah. And it's hard to catch up. It's a pretty when, big
0: deficit. Yeah, it, <laughs> it
3: really is. Uh, we're looking forward to a big-time balloon party with Tim McKernan this morning from 10 to 11. Always entertaining to hear the balloon party. Always. And we thank you for weighing in on whether or not Cardinal Nation is dead, and it. Boy, it sure doesn't seem like people are very positive about the future of Cardinal Nation, but we appreciate you voicing your opinion this morning. Great work by our producer, engineer, the one and only Matt Rocchio. Thanks, Randy. Blues all time
7: leader in penalty minutes, Matt. Uh, it is uh, Brian Sutter. Thank the Blues, you. Uh, Blues <laughs> well season done. leader in penalty minutes. Bob That's guess-off. Bob Yassoff. Well done.
0: <laughs> you know what? We learned something Three, today.
7: 387? 380 even, I believe. 380 even, okay. Look, Look at
0: that. But we learned something today. Season yeah. leader, all-time leader. Yeah, Those are do. facts we can, this is what we call a water cooler nugget, right?
7: 306. 306. Okay, I thought he was in
3: the 380s. Take that and Maybe three. Maybe the 380s it. might be the all-time NHL record. I believe that is correct. Okay, good. Uh, great job, Michelle. Thank you.
0: Thank you, guys. I'll see you tomorrow.
3: That is Michelle. I'm Randy. We thank you for tuning in, texting, and being a part of the show. The Balloon Party next for all of us. Until tomorrow morning at 7, be safe, and we'll see you then, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Carriker
2: and Smallman podcast presented by Dom's Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
10: Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama.
9: It's a well-known fact that good sleep leads to a happier life. Okay, maybe that's not a fact fact, but don't you just feel amazing after a great night's sleep? Like the first night back in your own bed after traveling. It's time to demand more first-night-back kind of sleep. Stop tossing and turning and talk with your doctor about how you can seize the night and day. And visit SeizeTheNightAndDay.com to learn more.